This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Mildred Philippe. And Christina Weir. Hi, this is Kevin Vandell. Hi, this is Libra Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Ezrelli. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Greenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh, Will Fertaccio. This is Adam Beechin, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 100. That's right, 100 episodes since we first began this uh, this podcast. This podcast started back in June of 2008, and here we are, September of 2012, 100 episodes in the bucket. So, yo, 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 it's your boy Donovan. And this is Bubba Moose, Stella. Um, for this episode, we have... Uh, News and comic book reviews from September 2nd through 15th. We also have um, a discussion, as well as Bat, book, Bat Books for Beginners, but we also have a discussion. Um, we're going to talk about some of the uh, major story arcs that have actually happened since we started uh, the Batman Universe comic podcast over four years ago. Um, and then in addition to that, we also have an announcement. Um, we're going to be changing up some things. We told you about some last month. Um, but the changes don't stop with what we talked about last month. There's even more changes coming starting in the next episode. So we're going to start uh, 101 episodes with a big bang, but this is uh, not uh, a bang that uh, you know is going to fizzle out before we get into 101. So um, there hasn't been a ton of news, and there is only five books, but uh, we will be dedicating a good chunk of time to our discussion of the story arcs that have happened since we began the Batman Universe comic podcast, and uh, this announcement is pretty big in its own right. So, let's get into comic news first. All right, so listen, why don't you give me a call when you want to start taking things a little more seriously? The first thing we have is comes on September 10th. Um, Baltimore Comic Con uh, was the weekend prior, and DC was in attendance in the form of Dan DiDio, Scott Snyder, and Greg Capullo, among other creators. Um, did, and there was a couple different highlights related to the Batman universe, not very many of them, but uh, this is what the highlights were. DiDio stated that Zero Month was not intended to reset all events, but rather to answer some questions that have been posted since the New 52 began. The goal was to fill in some of the blanks and set up some mysteries for the future. Uh, Scott Snyder mentioned that Tim Drake will have a major part in the upcoming Death of a Family storyline, and DC is planning something for the total run of 900 and 1,000 issues of Detective Comics and are continuing to count even though the series have been renumbered. So that's that's all the news out of Baltimore Comic Con. People have been talking um, online, they've been speculating that Tim might die in this Death of the Family storyline. I'm not exactly sure where that line of, of reasoning comes from. Um... I really don't want him to die, but like I mean, I, I legitimately I'm not sure why people are saying that. I've not been really catching up with the Teen Titans comics, so I'm not sure if Tim has a death wish or is dreading the Joker or whatever. But if Tim has a big part in the, this storyline, I'm excited for it because I don't think Tim's really had a big part in any storyline since maybe I maybe Identity Crisis, and that wasn't strictly a Batman story. But like, uh, it, it's cool because it's cool because you know Tim's one of my. Tim's a lot of our favorite characters, so I'm looking forward to that for that reason, let alone the fact that it's going to be a Joker story. 
Uh, yeah, I don't think that they would kill him off. I think that, you know, people at the Marvel panel thought that when they were going to kill off a character, it was going to be Scott, and it happened to be Professor X. So I don't, I don't think that they would kill off uh, such a bull... Yeah, such a sorry, such oh, a beloved yeah, spoilers on a <laughs> <laughs> such a beloved character like him. Um, you know, I haven't really liked the way that he's been um, dealt with so far. So hopefully, maybe this will be the turnaround for him. And and Identicrisis is one of my my favorite storylines ever. You can hear it on uh, Michael Bailey's Views from the Long Box. And uh, so it'll be great to see him kind of in the spotlight again. Yeah, I don't think they're going to be killing Tim off, um, but uh, I do have to d- say slight contrary to my co-host. I think Tim actually had a decent role in uh, Battle for the Cull as well, which happened af- way after Identity Crisis, but as probably the last time he was really in with everything that was going on within the Batman universe, um, even before, obviously, the New 52 began. And since the New 52 began, we've seen Tim pop up you know, in cameos, and I don't even know if it's. I don't even. I, I don't know if what the step below a cameo is, because if you don't have dialogue and you pretty much make a shot or an appearance in, you know, a panel, and it's not even a full body shot. I don't even know if it's considered a cameo. But, <laughs> um, I I really want him to, uh, you know, become more than what he has been, especially within the Batman universe. And uh, that rumor that Didio kind of started himself a uh, couple uh, the at uh, Fan Expo in Canada about Tim possibly getting his own series, I'd like to see that happen because I think then we can get Tim back inside the Batman universe instead of being just a part of the Teen Titans and occasionally popping up in various other books. Um, it would be, it, the character. I mean, there's nobody in the Batman universe that has actually maintained a book with sales high enough to warrant them having a long enough run other than Bruce Wayne Batman than Tim Drake. Mm-hmm. Um, since he had not only all of the miniseries before the actual Robin series kicked off in the early 90s, but in addition to that, that his series ran over... Um, 180 issues? Yeah, hundred. I think it was like 186 was the final number or something like that. And that that's, I mean, there's no other character in the Batman universe that has had that run. Dick Grayson didn't even have that run. And yes, you could argue, yes, he was in the Teen Titans, and Teen Titans had numerous incarnations and series, and Dick was a part of that, and he also had Nightwing. But realistically, um, Dick wasn't the main character in the book. He was part of the main group of characters that was focused on in, in that series. Um, the other thing that I really want to point out is that, uh, you know, they're planning on celebrating the uh, 900th and 1,000th issues of Detective Comics when that number eventually rolls around. Now, they also stated they're going to do the same thing for Action Comics, so I don't want anybody thinking that this is only for Detective Comics. But uh, they're planning on doing this for uh, Detective Comics and Action Comics. But what's interesting to me is the fact that, you know, they're going to celebrate the fact that it's had 900 issues, it's had 1,000 issues, but they renumbered it. So what are they going to do? Slap uh, the 900 or the 1,000 on whatever issue that ends up being? Hmm. Yeah, the problem with that is that seems similar to what Marvel has done in the last couple of years uh. with their books. And, you know, I'm not a huge Marvel fan. That's what they did with a number of their titles. All right, so then moving right along into the next bit of news we have. <clears throat> uh, also on September 10th, uh, it was announced 
the weekend prior that uh, the the Harvey Awards were announced, and even though we announced back in July that J.H. Williams was nominated for two awards, um, he actually was awarded those two awards for Best Cover Artist for Batwoman and Best Artist for Batwoman. So congratulations to J.H. Williams III. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been such a great ride, um, you know, just viewing that art, so definitely. All right, and then our last bit of news comes from September 12th. This news is, uh, an, there was an interview that was posted up on Comic Book Resources with Tom DeFalco, who is writing two issues of Nightwing, uh, issues number 13 and number 14, as well as actually helping Kyle Higgins with the Zero issue that we'll be reviewing on the next episode. So for this interview, I will read for Comic Book Resources, and Don will read Tom DeFalco. How did you end up being the writer to bring Lady Shiva into the New 52 in these three issues rather than tackling a story involving a different foe from Nightwing's past or an all-new one? You know, I'm not really sure. I think we had a big discussion. The people I was talking with were Brian Cunningham and Katie Hubert, and the three of us sat around and tossed out all sorts of possibilities and discussed different characters. What would be interesting? What character we should use? This or that. I remember Brian said at one, said at one point, the character I've always loved was Lady Shiva, and then Katie talked out of a different character with a ponytail weapon. She described it to me and said, and I said, wow, that is a really cool weapon. <laughs> uh-huh. So Brian made the call to give Shiva the other character's weapon and make her more of a visual threat. Then I guess Brian discussed it with Mike Mars and did Bad People, and we decided to go with Lady Shiva. What's going on in your issues and the origin number zero issue of Nightwing? Why is Lady Shiva involved in Dick's world? That's what Nightwing wants to find out. When Lady Shiva shows up, it's always, it always means someone is going to die because she's one of the deadliest and most expensive assassins in the world. And Nightwing has to figure out who's going to die and how do I stop it? Therein lies the crux of both issues. How is Lady Shiva different from the pre-New 52 versions? I think you got to wait until the Zero issue first to see why. But this Lady Shiva is very different, but has the same traits in this completely new version of the character. All right, so that's the end of that interview. Not not a whole lot of news. Um, I don't think a lot of people actually knew that Tom DeFalco was actually writing some of the Zero issue with Kyle Higgins. Um, but the the understanding that I have of the Zero issue is that Lee Shiva actually appears in the Zero issue and it leads into 1314, um, kind of what J.H. Uh, Williams and Hayden Blackman W. Hayden Blackman were saying about Batwoman how it kind of like falls in line with what's going on in the series, but um, still, you know, explores more of the character. So I think um, it's interesting to know that DeFalco was working on the Zero issue as well. Um, Also, part of the other interview that we didn't actually include here was that initially he was brought in to just give some idea. He had an idea that he ran past the editors. They liked the idea. And then Kyle Higgins said something about he needed a break for a couple issues. And then uh, the editors were like, hey, uh, DeFalco, why don't you uh, expand this idea into a couple issues? So I assume that's what we're getting with this Lady Shiva storyline that's coming next month. But uh, either way, I mean, that's that. I'm interested to see how Lady Shiva would play into Dick Grayson's origin. I am kind of uh, wary about it because uh, I don't want her to like kill his parents or train him or anything. I, I want you know, 
I don't like when the origins are messed up, for one thing. I clearly don't. So I'm interested to see her again. I just don't want it to be like in such a grand way where she and Dick Grayson are forever entwined or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Lady Shiva is is such a great character, um, and I think that you know there's a lot of respect for that character. So I'm really hoping that we can keep that respect and almost that fear for her because she is this really dastardly villain, and she's really intense, and she's trained a lot of people. And I'm somehow, you know, I guess I'm still naive. And the fact that I'm hoping that somehow, somewhere, maybe even in a tiny tiny little panel on the bottom left-hand corner of a page, we see Cassandra Kane somewhere. And that she's still still somehow connected to it all. But, uh, you know, I'm just, I just hope that it doesn't go the way of the female tarantula and, and Dick, and it's actually a good storyline. And, and I do trust Quit Tom DeFalco. That. I'm sorry. I do trust Tom <laughs> DeFalco, so I'm thinking that it'll be good. But just like Don, I'm wondering how it's all going to play out. All right. So, like I said, not a lot of news. That is all the news, as a matter of fact. So let's get right into our comic book reviews. And the very first book we have is Detective Comics number zero. You had me declared dead. Well, actually, it was Mr. Earl. He's taken the company public. He wanted to liquidate your majority shareholding. Those shares are worth quite a bit of money. Well, it's a good thing I left everything to you, then. Quite so, sir. And you can borrow the rolls if you like. Just bring it back with a full tank. Written by Greg Hurwitz, art by Tony Daniel, and Richard Friend. We uh, start off in the somewhere in the Himalayas ten years ago, and... We, we see Bruce Wayne uh, looking for a specific, uh, le- the legendary Zen Buddhist monk warrior who is the master of mind control trained at the hand of the Tibetan magicians and martial arts sensais. Um, as he approaches this uh, monastery, it turns out that uh, the woman who answers the door says, you have the wrong place, go away. So what does Bruce do? He goes to the foot of the stairs and he meditates and he sits there for numerous days through all kinds of weather. Um, eventually the door opens and the, uh, the, the warrior appears and agrees to train Bruce Wayne. Um, after training him with some swords, he tells uh, the, the monk warrior tells Bruce Wayne to go to town and get the blade sharpened. As he goes into town, he comes across a female who uh, appears to distract Bruce enough later in the issue. After uh, sitting down and having a meal with the monk and his wife, the uh, the wife proceeds to tell him that uh, although this is like home, um, you know, Bruce says this is you know I feel like you're my mother and you're my father, and and the monk warrior says, but we are not your mother and father. He continues to teach them, teach him all kinds of different kinds of. Uh, skills and at one point he explains to him that he needs to block out all kinds of emotion um the the mother the 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 monk's wife actually tells uh bruce that that's a bad idea don't block off all of your emotion because it's it's a bad thing to block off every everybody else and and otherwise you'll end up alone um so one of the skills that the monk is trying to teach bruce is uh the art of being able to um withstand um, cold by having him go and meditate on ice. And the problem is because he's distracted by the thought of this woman who's in town, he's actually unable to, uh, cause himself not to get hypothermia. Um, later in the week, he goes down and he 
sees the woman again and she tells him to meet him at the gardens. Um, as he is, he goes back, the, uh, the monk warrior tells him, you need, the, the best thing that ever happened to you is the fact that your parents died because it frees you from the constraints of morality and uh, you are destined to soar like a god. Um, so he meets up with the girl, the girl steals his watch, and he proceeds to say, you know, I'm not, you know what, this is probably a bad idea, I'm not really supposed to be doing this. So he goes back, and we see him at the, uh, frozen waterfall yet again, and he turns, he makes his body produce heat enough to form a puddle around him. So as he is, um, meditating one day, the, uh, woman, the, the monk's wife comes and visits him and says, um, Trust me when I say it's you know it's not a good idea to have a life where you're rich, because just like my husband, he once was rich. He was once uh, one of the greatest Zen warriors, and he has this giant fortune. But he locks himself away in this fortress every single night. So in the middle of the night, Bruce decides that uh, he doesn't want to be alone, and tells uh, goes runs the town and tells the woman that he wants to see her. She says sure. And as it turns out, he leaves a window open on, in the fortress of the monk. And s while they're sleeping, someone comes in and stabs the monk. And uh, Bruce wakes up, uh, defeats the, the the hooded person, and finds out it's actually the woman that he actually left the window open for. As it turns out, the monk's wife actually hired the um, the woman to try to steal the fortune because the monk's wife was sick of sitting in the fortress locked away not being able to you know really enjoy the uh, the wealth um, and the monk dies saying let this be your final lesson so then we get to the backup and uh, the backup is basically a story of Alfred waiting uh, back at Wing Manor waiting for Bruce Wayne to return as Bruce Wayne at this point has been gone for many years. Um, someone comes to the house named Mr. Shaw and explains that it's a good idea to pronounce Bruce Wayne dead. Um, the Kane family is the, the rightful owners, uh, the rightful heirs of the fortune if Bruce Wayne is declared dead, and they would like the money. Um, after having, um, after Shaw explains that, you know, they, they can make him a very wealthy person and give him the ability to act and be the star in, in the next big show at uh, the the local theater in Gotham. Um, Alfred shuns him away and says, get out, and I never want to see you again. Um, a knock comes from the door again, and when uh, Alfred opens the door, we see a bearded Bruce Wayne who says he's back and tells him he has an idea of exactly what he wants to do and uh, wants to tell him everything and you know knows that all this time he never he never gave up on him and he knew, and Bruce knew that he could always count on Alfred and that is the end of the backup. All right, so Detective Comics number 0. Um I thought this was pretty good. The the beginning story was was one of those great stories where it was a you know it was a done in one, didn't really pertain to the things that have been happening in Detective Comics. Really doesn't lead into what will be happening in Detective Comics. But the thing about it is, I've said over and over again, mostly on the normal cast, not so much here, is that you know we don't know a lot of the history between the time that 
Bruce's parents got murdered, and the time when he becomes Batman. We have what we've seen in Batman Year One. There's a couple stories that hint at events that have happened before Batman became Batman, but the reality is there's not a lot out there to let us know exactly what Bruce did to become who he is, um, besides just a laundry list of you know different types of training that he received. So this was kind of cool to see. You know, some not only some of his training, but some of the things he learned and the process that he learned them through. But then, in addition to that, um, it was a one and done story where it had a finality and and ultimately was a lesson that he probably couldn't uh, the monk couldn't have taught uh, Bruce Wayne unless, of course, he did die. Um, the backup again, I thought the backup was a little wordy. There was a lot going on, uh, or there was a lot of words going on, but not a lot actually happening. Um, but I think ultimately it was just to show that Alfred was supportive of the fact that Bruce decided he was going to disappear for, you know, four years. So he decided, uh, so the point of the story was just to show how loyal Alfred was, which they got that across. Um, I, I think the best piece of art in the entire book was bearded Bruce Wayne standing at the front door when Alfred opens it. I think uh, bearded Bruce Wayne is cool. <laughs> just for the sheer fact that we don't see a very bearded Bruce Wayne very often, um, unless he's in a disguise or on Venom. <laughs> so, um, overall, I thought it was a, it was a good issue. I'm going to give it three and a half out of five batterings. Yeah, I like this issue. I thought it was interesting. Um, at first, I just kind of wrote off, you know, as a basic, you know, before he was Batman kind of Bruce Wayne tale. Um, I kind of, well... I'm not going to say that Dustin's wrong and that we don't know what happened be- between the death of the Waynes and Bruce returning to Gotham, but, like, to me, I always felt that, like, we kind of had an idea. We never really needed to see the specifics because it was literally, like, like, Bruce from the time he was, like, I don't know, pre-flashpoint, it was, like, 14 or whatever. Like, he just traveled the world and, you know, trained in different sciences and fighting styles and, like, you kind of, like, have it in your head. It's, like, whenever they did an untold story, it was cool, but, like, I never felt like it was really a, in high demand but they're never, you know, they're they're fun to watch or they're fun to read. Um, what separates this from a lot of others is that it was kind of twofold. He was basically training him not to be a martial artist, but he was trying to train him to, you know, psychologically steal himself up to fight other people. And this guy, this monk guy, who looks a lot like he was strange, was basically trying to shield him away from his emotions, while his wife or companion or whatever was trying to say that emotions, you know, help you, you know, help you along with life, and. When she kills him, it's essentially because he was so cold. And as he dies, he's saying, like, this is why love sucks. <laughs> because, you know, people will betray you or whatever. So it was a very mixed message that Bruce leaves on. I actually thought that was a very interesting story to tell. Which is why Batman, a lot of times, can be emotionally stilted. Yet still employ the help of allies like the Justice League and the Bat Family and Alfred. Because Batman emotionally is a very contradicting kind of person i thought this kind of story actually informs that sort of contradiction very well it was very well written by greg horowitz i thought it was a very intelligent kind of story to give batman um plus on on, on a very basic level like like dustin loves the history i really like fighting uh do a dragon multi podcast and like i like all references to bruce's martial arts training because i just i just like martial arts and uh and fighting comic books i thought the backup was decent if a bit unnecessary i think a lot of these backups and these batman stories are kind of going on the lines of you know we gotta have some basic scene with the, in wayne manor somehow 
And not, not that it was bad, but it was almost like a missing scene that we really didn't need to see. But it was decent for what it was. Peter Bruce Wayne is fun. So I give this a 4 out of 5 batterings. It was, it was a solid issue. Oh, man. Um, you know, the thing about these zero issues is uh, that it's really... There's a lot of pressure on these writers, I think, and these artists because there's a lot of focus on these zero issues, and you really have to come through, I think. And Detective Comics did that for me, which is great because normally this title doesn't please me as much, so it's great to have a good story. Uh, it was heartbreaking to see Bruce projecting such of a, a desire for parents on his master and um, the master's wife. And that, that just seeing that progress and really seeing how much he wanted that, it was just, oh, it was very sad. Uh, you know, this issue certainly brings to light Bruce's brooding nature. I think that almost the way, you know, I'm just thinking about this now, but this issue is very much like uh, Casino Royale <laughs> uh, with Daniel Craig because um, you don't really realize you know why is he a womanizer why does all this stuff happen why is he you know he doesn't really have an attachment and then you realize in that first James Bond why he's like that because yeah he wasn't well for the first time and it really sort of damaged him what happened so this is very similar um, I think that he 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 had more attachments. In the beginning, and then he sort of quickly learned that, you know, it's probably not the best. So I think that that was great to see that. Here's a quote. The death of your parents is the best thing that could have happened to you. It freed you from the constraints of mortality. And I just thought, oh, my gosh. Uh, Just just a complete term. It really reminded me of sort of... um, Ra's al Ghul or Ra's al Ghul in Batman Begins and just, you know, saying the death of your parents wasn't your fault, it was your father. That sort of thing, just bringing that to light and really putting the death of his parents at the forefront of his training and making him face it and making him look at it at a different light. Just very different, like, the way that I think we're coming around to his origin with this issue, which is great. I did have a tough time believing that there is no language barrier between Bruce and the natives. Like, he just went into town bought things and it was very simple him and the girl very simple to get along and i thought uh where are we right now again we have different uh two different teachings between a mother and a father character and the mother was certainly um i mean she was more caring and then the father was like kind of the harsh uh school master type and it really reminded me of if we were to put uh, Cassandra and Batman's place, uh, just the way that Oracle at that time, Oracle and Batman acted because Oracle is very much a motherly type and, and tried to uh, be very comforting, but Batman was more um, hard on Cassandra and, and really pushed her. Um, let's see here. Yeah, I thought it was kind of, uh, for the first story, I, I said one effed up ending, uh, because not only did Bruce lose a second set of parents, but his final lesson was really that closeness brings betrayal, betrayed, and death. Uh, so that's kind of how it all came back. I find, you know, I found this particular issue of Detective probably one of the best, I think, that's come out. And I would have liked to have seen what Bruce was up to in the other nine places he traveled to. That was actually one of the quotes that I really zeroed in on, you know, that he had been nine other places. And I was just thinking to myself, wow, how cool would it be to have nine different issues like this? I think that'd be really cool. Uh, the backup, um, hey, guess what? Not It wasn't that exciting. The backups are really 
I don't know. They're not as good. It was a shock to see Wolverine and Alfred's story. Dustin said that it was Bruce Wayne with a beard, but I don't believe it. Um, you don't believe it. <laughs> you know, I think that Alfred's story didn't begin to fully shine until Bruce shows up. This beginning, it, it certainly adds to the fact that he never gave up hope, but I think it's really about the relationship and reunion at the end. And just like Dustin said, too much, too many words, and now there's just a lot of focus on this Kane family, and, and we're kind of seeing it build throughout the other issues. I think it pops up again in Batman, but just not the best backup, but the entire issue I thought was, was great, so four out of five batterings. All right, so Detective Comics number zero gets a total of four out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batwing number zero. Batwing Issue Zero, They Will Pay for What They've Given Birth To. Written by Judd Winnick, illustrated by Marcus Toe. Um, basically, David Zimbabwe is a former child soldier who was taken in by uh, Rene Diallo and Matuba, uh, who head the Children's Harbor, which is a rehabilitation center for former child soldiers. And But he cannot fight his... He cannot... Uh, escape from his anger and lashes out at people who are essentially evil. Uh, he tries to become a cop. Cops are corrupt. Um, he doesn't like being a cop. He wants to fight. He wants to be free from the constraints and shackles of the legal system a la John Blake. After, after, after an incident between Rene Matu and a crime boss called Death Jack, uh, David uh, dons a mask and some escremists, or no, police batons actually, uh, and uh, Beats these guys, fights back on a one-man army against uh, all crime and corruption in Tunisia. Uh, eventually, Rene dies from the incident due to her injuries, and David continues a long, solitary vigil uh, and, or I should say, crusade against all evil. He runs into some um, um, crime, fellow crime fighters in Africa who help him along. Um, were they? Were we, have we seen them before? Past issues? Did I just miss uh, them? They, they hinted at them in Batman Incorporated. Before New Fifty Two, but since then, okay. Um, he has he has some allies in uh, crime fighting, but it's mostly just him. And um, after one night when he threatens another crime boss called Blood Tiger, Batman, who for some reason is in Africa, says, "Hey, I can help you out with your uh, crusade. I myself am a guy am a guy with a lot of anger issues. I can help you with them out. Here's my card. Join Batman Incorporated. I'll give you all the gadgets you need: grappling hooks, batarangs, armor." In a bat costume, so uh, David says it's a start, and um, essentially that's the origin of Batwing. And the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Shipper. All right, Batwing number zero. Um, well, it was it was kind of interesting to see exactly how they were going to tell an origin story for David without doing what they did in the first the first story arc that they did with Batwing. Um, they did a good job, kind of taking the part from what was already told in the early issues of Batwing and using, and, and what we already know with the Batman Incorporated stuff, basically they filled in the blanks with him being a child and then growing up and becoming the person that Batman eventually finds. So props to them for not telling, you know, not retelling a story that we've already heard, you know, once or twice before. So, uh, I give them props to that. Um, I mean, honestly, the story it was it was very average. I, I mean, it didn't it didn't blow me away. I mean, it, to me, it just seemed like, well, what other reason would Batman 
bring this guy in other than he would have to be pretty smart. Well, not pretty smart. He'd have to be really smart. And then he'd also have to have some sort of inclination to be fighting crime. So that would be the only reasons I would see Batman bringing him in. I doubt Batman would bring in some guy who is, you know, a murderer and hope that he could be um, reformed. Oh, wait, that's that's the story of Jason Todd. Sorry. Wah, wah. Um, but, uh, I mean, the art by Marcus Toe was great art. Um, I mean, this doesn't further along anything about David that we didn't necessarily already know. Um, I mean, the blinks that they filled in were just blinks that didn't necessarily need to be filled in. And there really wasn't any mysteries that were set forth for future stories. Now, I do want to touch briefly on those uh, other heroes that were in Africa that were helping David. Um, I'm pretty positive that those heroes were the same heroes that we saw um, in Africa when uh, this was pre-New 52 in Batman Incorporated. The first time we see Batman link up with Batwing, um, there's other heroes in Africa that Batwing makes a comment about, and Batman says something in the regards of, you know, listen, we can, we can, they can help, but uh, we can't necessarily trust them completely, or something in that regards. And I want to say uh, some of the, at least the appearance of them seemed as if it was the same characters that we saw back then. Maybe I'll try to throw together something, uh, you know, a panel comparison or something like that, and put it on the website. Um, but overall, I mean, just an average issue. Three out of five batterings. Uh, yeah, it was okay. <laughs> um, I, it, it was fine. I mean, like, again, this wasn't really anything we didn't know before, kind of like Detective, in that we could kind of fill in the blanks. Um, we know that David donned a mask and fought crime, and that's how Batman uh, caught him. And, but I think he caught him like in like some sort of garage or whatever, so it's slightly retconned. But that, that's neither here nor there. Um, I thought Marcus Toe's art was decent. Uh, it's not, it didn't have like the, like the, like the wow factor that it usually does with me, but it's still good. I don't, I don't want to say it was bad. Um, there's not really much to say about it, to be honest. I mean, it was fine. I liked that David had a lot of ferocity and conviction with fighting crime. It adds a little bit more to what little his character is. And it was decent. I mean, I mean, there's not really much more I can say about that. It was, it was okay for this title, this character. It didn't really do anything to wow me or get me excited to read more of his adventures, but... As far as far as you know, this is what makes David Batwing. It's okay. Three out of five batterings. Okay, Batwing. You know, I I think I'm the last person on this show that really has high hopes uh, for Batwing, and really, you know, I enjoy it, and and I'd hate to see it go when everybody keeps telling me that it's on the chopping block. So I was really interested to see what this would be like. And guess what? Like I said before, yeah, the Zero, lots of pressure, lots of pressure. But this one came through even better than Detective Comics for me. Number one, I like the idea that the desire to hunt evil was something within David since he was a child. Uh, free from the army, of course, because he kind of was that, um, that evil. But it was just great to see him sort of running around, even as a small boy. Rene and Matu are written really well in their differing roles as mentors to David. And again, and I think I read this before, Detective Comics, they really remind me of Oracle and Batman as well, um, just as they're differing in their care of David. The origin's very similar to Batman's in the fact that 
the two parents to David were attacked, and then he puts on a mask as a rookie and goes after the villain. And such a weird villain at that with his sumo underwear on the outside of his pants. I wasn't too sure about that character design. Uh, but I like how his origin has certain similarities to Batman because I do find them similar in character, and I brought this up before. But he is certainly, I think, more brutal given his past upbringing. Uh, and he, you know, considering his childhood, it very much is similar to Damien. And you may be saying out there, well, gee, is this is Batwing just an amalgamation of all these different Bat characters? And you could kind of see different characteristics pulled from them. But I think that's what makes... Batwing great, and I think a lot of the characteristics that we see that are similar to Batman's, and it's not forced. Like the way that he has trouble, well, he has trouble with women, which is funny because that's very different from Bruce. But just being a serious and brooding guy and how Matu tries to liven him up just like Alfred does, I never have seen that as forced, but really that endears me to the character, and I really respect him for that. I do wonder how David gained the notice of Batman. Uh, yeah, just that's kind of how I say, basically, how, how was he randomly in Africa? Um, how was he getting news about him from Africa? I mean, I guess I could see David's exploits, you know, being in the news and everything, but would it have, I guess... You know, once I think about this as I'm talking through it, you know, Batman does have that crazy supercomputer so he'd know everything. But I just wonder how that came about because it's just like he popped up on a ledge randomly in that one page and they had a chat. So it just, that seemed a little forced to me. Um, why was he so quick to allow him entrance into the club? That was another big question for me because, I mean, he is so violent in his actions. I think he has a heavier force than Batman would normally allow, very much like uh, the Red Hood, right? Very close to fatal attacking, but but not as much. So I do wonder about that. I, I really enjoyed the Zero. You know, I think it gave us a taste of David more than we've had before because he's been dealing with these villains and everything. And then as a child, so we got to see him kind of midway. And it really proves to me that, you know, I really think that Batwing is a worthwhile character in the Batman universe. And I really, you know, I don't know. I like Batwing right now a little bit more than I like Batgirl, which is a sad thing to say. But uh, I do hope that people give him a chance. I may be the only one that likes him a lot, but I hope you maybe at least try number zero. And if you like it, go back and read some of the, the better storylines. But I give this 4.5 out of 5 Batarangs. All right, so Batwing number zero gets a total of three out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Batgirl number zero. Oh, yes. Jim. How could you? I worked with you, trusted you. And you never told me? She was my daughter. My daughter. Oh, boy. Background number zero, A Fire in the Heavens. Writer Gil Simone, artist Ed Boobies Benes. <laughs> Sorry. Artist Ed Benes and colorist Ulysses Ariola. Four years ago. Yes, four. Barbara Gordon is clipping newspaper articles which feature her father, and she explains that she has a dream father who will always be her hero. Babs trains in ballet and martial arts, goes to college studying criminology, and her family without the mom is just her, James Jr., and her dad. Babs goes to the Gotham Police Department in order to get interviews for a paper for her Intro to Criminology class. Officer Dwight weeds both her and James Jr. around as she hears from every geezer and broken-down cop in the building while trying to flirt with Dwight. 
Finally, she gets what she's looking for when she sees a suit mimicking Batman and designed by the cops from images they have gathered. They run down the list of tech they believe he has while Babs looks on and realizes that he's not magic. He's just as smart as her, or he is just smart like her. Suddenly, Harry X, a serial murderer and human trafficker, is escorted into the station, and he takes a quick liking to Babs. He warns her to be careful of the coming plague when there is a sudden explosion in the station and three heavily armed chicks with X's on their chests burst in. Harry frees himself and looks to get a hostage when he notices that a daughter of the commissioner... Was he really the commissioner four years ago? Is the best hostage ever, but that James Jr. is unnecessary. Babs and James run off while the police try to take <laughs> Babs and Jr. Ugh. Babs and James run off while the police try to take down Harry and his ex-girls. The cops shoot tear gas and Babs and James get caught in it, with Babs losing sight of James. Harry finds Babs just as Dwight finds Harry and tries to distract him. Harry threatens to kill Dwight. Uh, if Babs does not come out, while outside, the commish is trying to get into the station, but he is told the hostiles are blocking the exit, and he needs to let the negotiators do their jobs. Back inside, Babs, now sporting the Batman costume designed by the cops, uh, she puts her train to good use and, and actually puts the beat down, make a note of this as a number one, on Harry. Batman appears, ties up Harry, and tells Babs, good job, good job. Later, James Jr. comes out from behind a canister, apparently having watched Babs the entire time. Creeper. From then on, Babs fights as a hero unsanctioned by Batman, presumably. Learning quickly, helping people, and enjoying the rush. A year later, she becomes a member of the team with Batman and Robin. She messes up somehow, quits being Batgirl, throws herself into college, and meets a boy. Is that Dick Grayson? She missed it sometimes, but she didn't miss the blood or the darkness. But... Inevitably, the darkness finds you. As she sees when one fateful day, she answers the door without looking. Bum, bum, bum. All right, Batgirl number zero. I'm not going to dwell too much on some of the timeline concerns because I'm actually going to bring some of those up uh, when we talk, uh, when I review Batman, because that's the last book we're doing. I'm going to address some of the timeline issues in all of these titles. But, um... Well, I guess we get the explanation of how James is, knows that Barbara is, in fact, uh, Batgirl because he saw her way back when. So that slightly answers that question. Um, we, the, the thing I guess I'm having a hard time understanding is they said it was four years later. And what I am not really understanding is the, the difference between the character of James four years ago and the character of James now is much greater than four years. I mean, we're, we're, we have to believe that James is at least 18 years old because he's in Arkham Asylum. Um, and oh, by the way, back, you know, I said I was going to keep the timeline stuff, but I'm going to contain my timeline complaints to Batgirl specific stuff real quick. So in Batgirl during the whole Knight's Quest thing that we had, where we had that uh, the the character who is locked in Arkham Asylum, who befriend was befriended by uh, James Gordon Jr. and she was helping James Gordon Jr. because he wants to see the city in, in blood and this that, and the other. Okay, so that was when the character was sixteen, and then that character was eighteen. So that means two years from that event, from that event. So that means James Gordon Jr. was in jail two years ago. 
in jail as in Arkham Asylum. So when he's in Arkham Asylum two years ago, well, there's a couple issues. Number one, this has nothing to do with this issue. Why was a 16-year-old girl in Arkham Asylum? That doesn't make any sense. Okay, <laughs> so then if you suspend belief that people under the age of 18 could be in Arkham, that means James Gordon Jr. could be, well, who knows? He could be, it doesn't really matter how old he is because he could be anywhere from 10 years old, which is the the age that he looks in these in this art, to 18 years old. Who knows? Um, the the fact that they they posted the this was four years ago and they set it up where okay so now she was Batgirl um, she was Batgirl for a year she you know got shot by the Joker and they set it all up where you can kind of get an idea of exactly how it all works as far as everything goes. Okay, so put aside the timeline stuff. I thought it was a okay story. I mean, it shows the inspiration where Barbara gets the idea of being Batgirl. Um, it shows that she had this respect for the character. But honestly, I hate to say this, but I thought the backup in the back of Batman showed more respect and more, uh, you know, uh, knowledge and love for the character of Batman than this did. Um, the fact that she, you know, it's it's revealed like halfway through the issue that the whole reason she's doing this thing at the police station is because she wants to see what the police have come up with in regards to Batman. Uh, <laughs> I just don't understand what the point is. Like, I mean, if she's a genius and she is super smart, and why would the only way she'd be able to find anything out about Batman is by going and seeing what the the idiot police came up with. I mean, <laughs> that just, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, the, the other element of the book is we have Ed Bennis on the book. Now I know some people really don't like Ed Bennis and there's some, there's a lot, there's been some Ed Bennis stuff in the past that I've really didn't like. I didn't particularly like his, his, uh, stuff on birds of prey before the new 52. Uh, I did. So, yeah, some of the other stuff that he did, um, he's worked on uh, Batman in the past as well. Wasn't a huge fan of that. Now, I have to say, opening this book, one, it was like a complete flash of light um, from the book because I had no idea what was going on because the art is so dramatically different than what we've seen um, leading up to this issue. But in addition to that, I really like this art. Uh, I like the fact that it's a little bit more... Uh, it's a little bit lighter. It's a little bit more, um, I guess, lighter, brighter. It's more, it's more fun, which is a weird way of describing something that you see, but it just seems more like uplifting, which is the char- what the character of Barbara is what I'm getting that they're trying to go for. So it's nice to see that instead of seeing the dark, dramatic stuff that we've seen in the last couple of issues, since that's not the character that's being written. So it's nice to see at least the what's being written is somewhat matching up the tone of the colors and the inks and the actual art inside the book. Um, I, I, I'm enjoying Bennis right now. I, I, I will obviously hold my tongue and say, you know, we'll wait and see how this goes because if we start seeing boobalicious babs in the future, uh, uh, uh. I don't necessarily want to, I don't want that route to happen either. But if he can, if he can maintain, you know, the, the, the tone that he had in this book going forward, I, I'm interested to see what he can do. So I thought the art overall was really good. And uh, I'd say the story, again, very average story, shed some light on some events, but really 
this was one of the books that started to present more questions than answers. So I'm going to give this uh, three and a half out of five batterings. Batgirl number zero by Gail Simone and what? Who's that? Oh, Ed Benes. Oh, yeah. Y'all know what we're in here for now. Just, just look at Batgirl now. Those lips, those hips, those hunted dips. Uh-huh. Alright, what's up with that? Oh my um, gosh. <laughs> um, actually, um, everyone knows the uh, the uh, reputation of uh, Ed Benes. I actually thought he was actually really restrained in this issue, to be fair. Like, um, I mean, he has, he, has, he has his style, but Barbara wasn't really accentuated, like, as much as, like, I mean, if you read his Birds of Prey stuff, which I've glanced at his Birds of Prey stuff, that's, like, Ed Benes, as he's known for. Or, like, a Supergirl stuff uh, in, like, the early 2000s. Um, I agree with Dustin. Like, I like the art in this issue. I mean, actually, I like the penciling. I didn't care for the coloring because I thought that the paint look of, like, the flashback or the main story, I found it really distracting, to be honest. It didn't really cl- click with the uh, the art, and I, I felt it more clashed with it. It felt like it was trying to be a little bit too artsy-fartsy, which isn't a really good metaphor for, or name for it but uh i mean i think the coloring is actually good on its own but it doesn't really mesh well with the pencils i think that like uh when we get when we get to the splash pages of batgirl and batman and robin when it's like you know more slickly colored it's a little bit more uh a little vibrant i think that's great in fact i love those images i mean that the one image of batgirl you know like uh, on her own and the next image of her the dynamic duo making the ter- terrific trio I really think that's awesome. I, w- I honestly would have that as a poster. I like. I really like that image. I like the Batman image is great. Uh, the Robin image looks good with his costume. I think Batgirl uh, looks good. And uh, speaking about the costume, and this is where Stella's going to hit me over the head with a two by four. Oh my I like, gosh! I like the costume. <laughs> like, I'm surprised because I remember back in issue one, uh, there was like those uh, newspaper clippings about Batgirl. I think, and she had like the original. No, she had like the uh, the New Fifty Two costume. With a cowl. But here, I mean, there's comparisons to Misfit, I think, because of, like, the gray and, like, the total lack of a cowl. Like, you know, I can't see how anybody could not figure out that it's Barbara Gordon under the mask. But it's, it's almost like the Batman and Robin movie. But I like the ponytail. I kind of like, the, like, the dishwasher gloves. <laughs> I like the long boots. I, I just... Maybe it's because of the... Maybe it's because of Ed Benis's art. But I, I find that really fun to look at. It's, it's different in a way, but it kind of reminds me of the... Um, the all-star Batman Robin Batgirl costume where it was also just her in a ponytail. I don't know what it is, but I, I, for some reason the costume's working for me. It might just be Bennett's art because he can be a good artist when he wants to. Like he, I think he's a good artist in this issue. He's not He's not cheesecake man usually. Um, okay, now for the story, I didn't, I didn't hate this at all. I really I didn't hate this, but I do have not really, I have issues with it. Not really like, like no, I'm not, I'm not going to be rage quitting this month, but, uh, or, uh. This episode. Wait, wait till next episode. But like, the timeline really does confuse me. Like, like I mean, it confused me before. Now it's like, I can't believe they're asking us to to put so much consideration into this kind of timeline because it just doesn't make any sense. Like when you really stop to think about it. So four years ago. Okay, first of all, first and foremost, on a baseline, are we operating on a five-year timeline for the DCU, or is it a six-year timeline? After you answer that question. If you go four years back in the past to figure out this is when the story takes place. And then, not even that, but it says one year later, it shows her with Batman and Robin. So, like, she was Batgirl for a year after this? 
or was she back on her own, which is maybe two years? It's just too vague for me. Not only that, but, like, you're going on the idea that she was Batgirl for that long and then just quit. I'm not opposed to her quitting, but her attitude and approach to being Batgirl in this issue, I don't feel has a lot of conviction. And um, it's interesting as a, as a comparison because I recently reread Batgirl Year One, uh, which I really like. And um, uh, in that book, a lot of the, of the big major theme is, like, why is Barbara Gordon doing this, you know? Her parents aren't dead. Um, well, <laughs> for the, for the most part, at least. Uh, she, what, what drives her to be Batgirl? It's just it's kind of stupid. And like a big again, I, I'll admit a big thing with Barbara Gordon compared to the other Batgirls is that I don't think she has a lot of conviction most of the time. She's just this girl who kind of dresses up and writes crime, which is why I tend to like her as Oracle more. But with that storyline, it kind of you know it provided the reason why she would do that. With this issue, I don't feel Simone succinctly gave us an impression that her being Batgirl was any big deal. It's like when you think back to the issues where Bruce Wayne, you know, obnoxiously said, you were always meant to be Batgirl. To me, I get the feeling that it was almost like a weekend hobby for her being Batgirl. I mean, I'm not saying that because she just quit and went to school, but like she was, she was only Batgirl for a short amount of time. Her reasons for being Batgirl was because she beat up a guy and saw Batman. It was so much more... It was a little more developed, or at least a little bit more thought out originally. And I know in the '60s, it was basically just to have her in the in the show. But even in the comics, like I mean, which you'll hear in Background Oracle, there's a lot more. You, you get a lot more from Barbara Gordon's character as to why she feels she needs to be Batgirl, as opposed to this. And I really do think that Simone just kind of like, like, like limp wristed this this origin story. I'm not as mad about it because there are some things I like. But, like, uh, when it comes down to it, when this Zero issue is kind of supposed to, like, justify her being Batgirl, I really don't think it does. And it also kind of adds credence because if this is what we got uh, to take out uh, the other two Batgirls, you know, out of continuity, for, like, a year and a half or a year of someone who didn't really take it that much seriously, that's really disingenuous. I mean, the issue, I'll, I'll give the issue in a three, three out of five batterings because I thought it was decent. But this does have ramifications towards the character and, uh, again, towards the timeline. (sighs) Okay. Um, So (laughs) I'm going to step away from my Batgirl to Oracle old 52 self and just analyze this as if I were a new reader. Okay. So first of all, I would like to point out that there was Whoopi. Do you know who Wooby is, people? Oh, yeah. Do you know Wooby? Did you see Wooby on the bed? That was very exciting. Now, for those of you that are like, why the devil is she saying Wooby? Uh, Wooby was a little bear that she had in Batman the Animated Series, so that was kind of nice. Okay. I did not like the whole intense plus driven plus exceptional equals weird theme that, that carries throughout. Um, I just don't agree that, you know combine all those adjectives and it means weird and I think that she definitely is an intense driven and exceptional person but the way that it's played is like all of those come together and and make a a negative quality and the the great thing about Babs is that she is intense driven and exceptional and that's what makes her such a strong female character so I don't like her kind of beating herself up and calling her weird 
I am sorry that Dwight was not really Jason Bard. Um, I felt like that could have been a really great intro for him, and that wouldn't have affected the universe too terribly. But Dwight, there we go. And, you know, I'm also sorry that there's this strange focus put on romance and Babs' inability to flirt when there's already a full story going on behind this. It just seems like it was put there without thinking it through. Like, why... Why are we seeing her inability to do anything? Okay. So if I may talk about Old 52. In the Old 52, Babs made her own costume. And there were different reasons for her making, you know, the, she went to the, the Million Dollar Ball. She, um, and then in Batgirl Year One, she, of course, just kind of wanted to needle her father. So here... She, well, it was a clever way, I guess, to bring the Batgirl, you know, costume into the fold uh, because she uses the Batman suit that the police were trying to reconstruct from images. Uh, but it was sort of sad because I think there, there's always something great about a hero making his own costume. Um, like it was always so tedious when uh, Peter Parker's costume got shredded because he had to stitch it up himself. And I think there was always something um, because you're really tied and connected to your costume. And I think... It would have been great to have her in her actual costume and not this. Uh, but, you know, question, I do wonder why is she using this Batman costume? Is it to pretend to be Batman in order to intimidate Harry? I thought about that, and then I thought, well, you know, he hopefully is not dumb. So hopefully he would obviously recognize that she's a female. Um, and then I wondered, well, is it to have protection and armor while she fought him? It's just and identity, right? Well... See, I just don't believe that, though. How could he not realize that, I mean, there's a girl and a young boy trapped within the smoke. How does he not know that that was Barbara Gordon? If the little brother knows that that was Barbara Gordon. So I I don't know if I believe that at all. That whole fight, let me talk to you about this. Her first time out, let me frame it for you people. She's able to fight well. She fights smart. And she defeats this hairy axe whom I would say is probably double her size. But after years of training, she's somehow able to be smacked around in issues number 1 through 12. How does that make sense? That's what? I mean, she goes from... It's kind of tough to go from, like, the training, your training in, like, an out-of-context environment just with a trainer, and then you're actually put to the test. That's really difficult, and she passed, and then she's beat up by Batwoman. She's beat up by Grotesque. I'm just very confused about that. Okay, another issue I had, Babs gets a nice job from Batman, and that's really high praise from him. And I'm just surprised that he doesn't stamp her down and tell her to stop while she's ahead because that is something that I believe um, he should have done, which is another issue that I have is the fact that she went around basically for a year, as we're told, unsanctioned, if I put quotes around that. And I just don't know how, without him coming after her, training her or something, how she goes around without him for a year. That boggles my mind. Um, I mean, there are so many things that I, but I don't want to uh, go into because I'm already taking a long time. So, 
I think you know the first page actually I really I really liked it. It really hooked me, which I mean these back row comics when it talks about this is like the Titanic. Remember that line? Um those things don't hook me, but this one really did and I thought, "Oh wow, this is going to be great. This is going to be a tale a father-daughter tale about the relationship and hey, guess what? That's just like back row year 1 and that's really strong point. But then all of a sudden, psych, it's actually, you know, more about James Jr. and Babs. And there's not really that much of a development. Why she brings him to the police station in the first place is beyond me. I guess she was babysitting him. I guess, positive note, we figure out how he knew or knows that she's back girl. We probably put two and two together. Um, uh, I don't, you know, the story, for the most part, it was probably one of the better issues. I still have trouble with the narration boxes. And now I, I can say that it's not because, if this is New 52 still talking, it's not because um, if that's the way Batgirl's going to talk, then that is the way Batgirl is going to talk right now. But uh, some of them are just like out of this world, like do not make sense. In context, it's like mentioning things that aren't even happening or didn't happen on the page. Uh, I could give you an example. Uh, for of the fourth page, Barbara is interviewing an older cop and the narration box says, Dwight, you're sweet, but you have no idea what's going on. Guess what? Dwight didn't say anything to her besides calling her intense. So why is that narration box there? So that's my problem. If Babs is going to talk like she is in her weird narration boxes, at least make it make sense with the context of the panel. So Old 52 Stella is very sad and heartbroken uh, because (laughs) this is very different from Detective Comics 359. And Becker, you're one. And so it's just, ooh. New 52 Stella uh, really tried to like the issue, and I think for the most part that she does. Uh, you know, there are still remains obvious writing flaws, uh, but, you know, could potentially be one of the better issues from the series. But, you know, just like Donovan said and, and, and Dustin said in the beginning, you know, that it doesn't really show the respect for the character, I do really wonder what is the reason for her being Batgirl? She doesn't really come forth and and say it's just like happenstance like it just happened and she talks about the thrill and helping people but is there more of a point besides that 3.5 out of 5 batterings i to say real quick that like when she's looking at the costume she has the creepiest look on her face like it's like really how interesting she looks she, she really in looks a candy cute. store she looks like the Cheshire Cat to me oh yeah Alright, so Batgirl number zero gets a total of three and a half out of five batterings. Let's move into our next issue, Batman and Robin number zero. This isn't the time for games. Now untie me. It's no game. You're out of control. You don't know what you're talking about. That gas has affected you more than you think. I told you, I can handle it. You can't! You're not even afraid to kill. I'll be back for you as soon as I can. Robin. It's hard for me to say this, but you did the right thing. I was out of control, and you've made me see that. I did what I had to. What now? I've got to stop the Scarecrow. I can help you. I know him. But... Don't worry. You'll be the boss on this one. You almost fooled me. Batman Robin number zero, uh, written by Peter J. Tomasi, illustrated by Patrick Gleason, <laughs> as always. Uh, this issue is about Robin, a.k.a. Damien, and it takes place a year and a half ago. So uh, he could be nine and a half, 
or, or eight and a half, I suppose, or he could be something else. Because as we find out, Damien is artificially accelerated in his aging. Uh, he was biologically conceived through uh, Batman and, and Talia al Ghul doing it. But uh, we see him being birthed through uh, some sort of artificial incubator womb. And um, from uh, from birth, he's basically trained to be uh, the Al Ghul legacy heir. But Talia is uh, actually pretty uh, fair as a mom. She trains him as a little boy in sword fighting, talks to him about Alexander the Great. But even as a young boy, Damien said, you know, who is my father, mom? <laughs> and why isn't he here? And uh, she said, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit later. Um, uh, on a special, uh, today's your birthday, my love. And when you best meet in a duel on your birthday, that's when you'll be ready to meet your father. And that's when I'll tell you all about him. Uh, there's, a one, there's one scene where uh, she goes and talks to Otto Nets on the phone. And Damien goes into her room. Because for some reason she has, I guess it's Batman's cape and cowl when, when they uh, <laughs> when they slept together. And like Damien finds this and... Uh, cosplays as Batman saying, look, I'm a bat. So that's interesting. And and Ty can do nothing but laugh and says, you know, soon the whole world will be yours, my son. So uh, in the years that come, he's trained to behead tigers, play the violin, uh, elbow his power through chi against several cinder blocks, fight with nunchucks, paint a painting, for some reason, uh, be good at sniping, uh, learn science from Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, shark hunting, and uh, geography, and um, base jumping as he as he uh, takes on some uh, genetically enhanced man bats and ninjas on his tenth birthday. Uh, Damien, by this point, is very determined and defeats Taya in a duel to find out who is his father. So while she uh, while they sail to Gotham, we cut back to 2006 when Batman was fighting a bunch of crazy man bats, and uh, uh, when um, Taya subdues him we get the dialogue from grant morrison saying i've allowed you to evade your responsibilities for too long my beloved say hello to your son and we get the immortal words father i imagine you taller as batman's like what the hey um the end <laughs> all right batman robin number zero um okay so the the interesting thing about this is they specifically laid out that you know there is no enhanced aging process that Damien's going through because they in fact showed that he has a birthday every single year and his 10th birthday which puts him at 11 and a half currently not in the zero issue but currently he's 11 and a half because it states that a year and a half ago is when his 10th birthday was so on his 10th birthday he defeats his mother finds out who his father is Okay. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> wait. Did you say that he's not artificially aged? He has to be. Yeah, but the beginning of the issue says 10 years ago. No, it says... Does it say 10 years ago? It says it says before. No, that's when he was actually in the, uh, the tube. The beginning of the issue. Look in the first... The very first page, it have... says a year and a half ago. And then when he's a baby, it says... Before. Okay, so a year and a half ago from so that means he's eleven and a half. Correct? Uh yeah. I mean like he he literally can't be ten or eleven years old because that just goes beyond the timeline though. 
Right. It's impossible. That's, that's what I'm trying to point out here. Okay, go ahead. No, it's fine. I'm just, like, the thing is, that's why it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> okay. So, the the whole thing is, it says, a year and a half ago at the beginning of the issue, and a year and a half ago was his 10th birthday, which makes him 11 and a half years old. The question is, how could he be 11 and a half years old if artificial aging wasn't at some point put in, and how can he have a birthday every single year and making him actual 10 years old if artificial aging wasn't done. So the thing that I guess I'm not understanding with this is how is it that in Detective Comics we see 10 years ago uh, Bruce in the Himalayas, which means um, before he was in the Himalayas, he somehow met Talia al Ghul and slept with her uh, to conceive Damien, yet at that point he had no knowledge of how he was going to be or who he was going to be, because we see in Batman six years ago, it wasn't even Batman. So there's a little bit of a problem with that. I mean, there's always been a problem with the actual age of Damien and how it works with this new timeline. The old timeline, it could have worked because there, you know, it wasn't as condensed within five years or whatever. So that's that's the main issue. Um, I mean, put put the timeline side of stuff to, or put this timeline stuff to the side. It's nice to see some of the training that Damien has gotten. We've seen some of this in the past as well. I mean, it does make sense that not only was he trained in all of these, um, you know, lethal ways, but also intellectual ways, such as learning how to play certain pieces of music, learning how to paint, because that builds your IQ, or it doesn't like improve your IQ, but it builds your knowledge. Uh, a lot further than just knowing how to kill, and you have a respect as well for what you're doing too by having a respect for all of these other these other skills that are out there. So that was kind of interesting to see. There wasn't a whole lot more to this issue. I mean, we were, it was basically laying out some of the brief events between uh, Birth of the Demon and uh, Son of Batman. So I mean. There, I mean, it wasn't, it was again, to me, it just was an average issue. It didn't reveal really anything other than Talia al Ghul back when Damien was a kid knew Otto Nets. But, I mean, does that really make that big of a difference? I don't know. I mean, I have to say props to Peter Tomasi for, you know, linking some of the things that a lot, well, a lot of the things that Grant Morrison basically already put in place within the Batman universe years ago and using them to kind of, and using them, but also filling in some of the blanks that necessarily haven't been shown entirely. So, uh, Patrick Leeson's art was was uh, was good, um, but again, I don't have anything that was like really remarkable about this issue either. Three and a half out of five batterings. Um, I liked it for what it was. Again, a lot like Batwing. This was not something that we had to you know be told figure this out. We know that Damien's. I mean, I think Damien kind of brags about being trained every year all the time anyway. We didn't have to see it. Uh, I mean, I didn't dislike this issue. I really didn't like this issue. But a lot here was sort of like, you know, it was kind of presented in a did you know about this kind of way? And it's sort of like kind of talking down to the reader as though you know, if you've been following the storyline, if you've been following Damien for the past half decade, you know this already. Uh, but it was good for what it was. Um, I thought I liked the fact that Talia, like she does in The Dark Knight Rises, and, you know, like her father says in Batman Begins, says, uh, Show me up the strength and willpower to do what is necessary, which obviously was a, a stolen line for the movie. I don't think that was a coincidence. Um, I'm liking how Talia's being drawn these days. Uh, I gotta say, like from um, Chris Burnham's uh, 
crazy eyed look that she gave her to Patrick Gleason's like kind of like like sumptuous uh, looking Talia. I just I just like the way she she has an interesting design because like I think in um, the animated series kind of gave her this kind of basic black hair design, but in the comics she really does look like she's like 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 Middle Eastern European kind of. She doesn't look American, and I like. I mean, I, I think she looks hot. <laughs> I think I think she looks very visually appealing, and I like the fact that like different artists kind of interpret that in different styles, but kind of get the same uh, the same uh, end result. Um, again, this was there wasn't much we didn't know about. This Damien is you know, very different from one. Well, kind of slightly different than one he is now. I always like the ending scene uh, of Damien meeting Batman for the first time. I kind of think it's like, a little bit iconic, just because it's a great for opening line. And I've always liked that issue with that Batman just finding these crazy man bats, and it ends on this complete, you know, uh, non-sec order almost, or you know, total left turn. Uh, like the Batwing issue, I thought it was good, but you know, wasn't anything we didn't need to be told. Three out of five better angles. Okay, <laughs> I always have to be the one, the uh, the odd man out or the odd woman out, I suppose. Okay, well, the beginning shocked me because I was like, say what? Did Damien just kill Man-Bat? Uh, but wait, later we do find out that she has a whole army of Man-Bats under her control. I do wonder what this means. Does this mean that Kirk Langstrom is working with Talia slash Leviathan? Or is it just that she has actually, uh, the it's, serum? It's a, this, was, this is uh, it's referring back to a story oh, that I happened see. right before. It was uh, Resurrection of Ra's al Ghul. Okay. Where basically Talia stole the man bat serum and turned some of her ninjas into man bats. Oh, okay. See, readers, <laughs> I helped you, or listeners, I helped you learn something as I did. Um, so the scene with Talia putting Damien in the water, it totally reminds me of Hecate dipping baby Achilles in the river Styx in oh, yeah. order to. Yeah, in order to make him invulnerable, of course, she had to hold him by his ankle, and that's why he had that, that issue. Um, but, yeah, it just totally reminds me of that. And what was great about this is just, like, this very cl- tied up to classics and classical upbringings and really the entire story. Um, it, you know, it's not only about the relationship between Damien and Talia and, and almost really Damien and Bruce in his absence, but really, he hears these tales of Alexander the Great, and several scenes really mimic um, the life and the upbringing of a- Alexander the Great as well. And so I think that foretells the greatness, potentially, that Damien could see. Um, it's fitting that Damien experienced death and violence so early on in life. I mean, that was a brutal scene where the nursemaid got uh, stabbed right there. But, uh, I mean, I was just like, oh, man, the baby floating the blood. Like, this is probably why he's like the way he is. So it's kind of fitting. Oh, my gosh. The best scene ever is... Oh, little Damien in Batman's cow saying, Mommy, I'm a bat. I'm a bat. <laughs> that was the best scene ever. Uh, the big scene on his 10th birthday, man, that was great and brutal all at the same time. Um, you know, he's using all all means to defeat those assassins, um, just really being smart and, and getting to the point, not dancing around it and... That it was very inventive that, you know, his fight, he uses one parachute to basically wrap up four or five people and, and take them all out. Um, okay, so, yeah, the ending, you know, this is kind of like the culmination. He's finally going to meet his, his, his daddy. And there, they, you know, there you are. You got Batman 
Um, he's got a sword at his throat. Damien's holding that sword and saying, Father, I imagined you taller. Um, it was just a great first meeting. You know, I loved this issue, and I've loved this relationship from the very beginning. I've been the one person that stuck through it, even through the angst, and I said, you know, this is well-deserved. It's been my favorite shipper, uh, non-romantic shipper, uh, just because it's great. It's been realistic and growing and everything. Uh, it was great to see another side to the Damien relationship because we've been seeing a lot of Damien back man and bruce and this was damien and talia and it was just great to see that and it really gets i think to the intricacies of damien's background and personality and this was by far my favorite zero issue of of this batch so i give it five out of five batterings all right so batman and robin number zero gets a total of three and a half out of five batterings let's move into our last issue batman number zero what's your interest in it mr wayne i want to borrow it for uh, spelunking. Spelunking? Yeah, you know, cave diving. You're expecting to run into much gunfire in these caves? Written by Scott Snyder, art by Greg Pulo. Uh, the issue starts off with uh, uh, the tagline Gotham City six years ago, and we see a bank that is uh, pr- was previously opened um, that is reopening. Begin- they had a very shifty past and the Red Hood gang appears inside the bank, uh, practically trying to rob them. As uh, the person in charge of the Red Hood gang tells Red Hood number five to take out the banker because he's making too many questions, he uh, hits his head, and uh, the leader of the Red Hood gang uh, deduces that this person is actually an intruder and it's not the actual Red Hood five. Uh, he removes his hood and is told to put the gun in his mouth and blow his head off um, and says, uh, listen, I'll do it, just don't hurt anybody else in here. Uh, to which the person in the, uh, the, red, the, red, hood, the red Hood gang uh, leader proceeds to say, well, don't worry, everyone else is already dead because we poisoned the cake yesterday. Um, so as he's about to uh, blow his head off, um, he actually fights them off and uh, makes a run for the out or the, the way out of the bank and is approached by police who are shooting them and uh, this person runs and at this point we've realized that this person is actually Bruce Wayne he removes a manhole covering gets into the sewers um, after getting on a bike and heading towards um, his brownstone um, he's actually uh, the, the Red Hood gang finds him and, and starts shooting at him but uh, Bruce run, drives off on the motorcycle. As he drives off, he arrives at what appears to be a bunker, and the bunker is full of all sorts of technology um, that we've seen in the past and some technology we haven't seen. Uh, we specifically are shown a boomerang that has a, a timer on it that actually allows the, ti- the, the boomerang to come back to the person at a specific time. So if it was thrown at a wall, it would return to the origin at a specific time. Um, As uh, Bruce goes to the roof of this brownstone, he uh, starts throwing it around, um, but before that, he's actually lectured by uh, Alfred about maybe they should have stayed at Wayne Manor instead of buying this brownstone. and Bruce says, no, I want to be in Gotham, not outside of Gotham. And uh, then he goes up to the roof. Um, then Alfred comes up and says that uh, the 
that uh, Lieutenant Gordon is there to meet him. And uh, Bruce is very aware that the timer on the uh, boomerang that he threw is ticking down, so he's trying to make the conversation go as quick as possible. Uh, uh, Lieutenant Gordon actually reveals that he has uh, some concerns about some of the questionable uh, things that are happening at uh, Wayne Enterprises and uh, is wondering if Bruce knows anything about it. Bruce says he doesn't know anything. Uh, to which Gordon then replies, well, uh, the, the the man running the company, Philip Kane, um, is very questionable too, to which Bruce very abruptly replies, well, he is family. Um, so at that point, uh, he says, unless there's proof, there's nothing that I can do for you. Um, so I'm not real sure why uh, you're you have any why why you're coming to see me. Um, to which uh, Gordon replies that there's a vigilante um, around town, and uh, it turns out that uh, the vigilante could make the um, could make Bruce Wayne kind of uh, interested in the vigilante because he seems to have more uptown uh, resources. Um, then the things that the police can come by easily. So uh, Gordon says, uh, if you know anything about it, um, you need to tell me. I'm uh, pretty sure at this point uh, the fact that your parents were murdered, uh, you know, within feet of this brownstone, and uh, the fact that you've set up camp here, it seems as if you've come back to Gotham to set up a war on uh, crime yourself. So if you sympathize with this vigilante, he may try to approach you, and uh, I'm just trying to make sure that you guys don't. So then uh, the story ends with the Red Hood gang in a van pulling up to the brownstone saying, uh, what do you think, uh, we're going to blow up, or they say they're going to blow up uh, Bruce Wayne's brownstone. Then we get to the backup, uh, which was written by James Tinian IV. Um, this takes place five years ago. Commissioner Gordon, which we assume is at this point as commissioner, uh, it's not actually stated, but he's on the uh, rooftop of the police headquarters talking to Barbara Gordon, and he's talking about uh, a signal. We cut to Greystone Academy, where we see Tim Drake uh, deducing that his principal is not only corrupt, but uh, we also it's also revealed that Tim Drake is a genius who uh, aced the uh, oh. SATs from the year before, and he makes a comment about um, how uh, there's no way that the principal can expel him because the principal's actually going to get arrested. The police show up. Then we cut to a robbery, and uh, two people in red ski masks pop in, and uh, one has a gun, and the other one is a person who says his name is Jason, and he promises no one's going to get hurt. The person with the gun says, you're an idiot, you told her her name, and then he shoots her in the face. Um, we then see uh, Jason chasing down the other person in the mask and says, I can't believe you killed her. She's not going to move anymore. This was supposed to be just about money. The gun wasn't even supposed to be loaded. And he literally just starts beating the living heck out of this person. Um, a police officer arrives and says to, or pulls Jason off the boy and says, uh, you know, get off of him. And Jason explains, well, he just shot a woman down the street and killed her. I, I needed to stop him. And the police officer um, says, well, it doesn't look like he's going to be doing a whole lot of anything right now. We then cut to Dick Grayson, who happens to uh, stop a thief from stealing a purse from somebody. He gives the purse back and makes the person aware that he is actually going to be uh, performing for Bruce Wayne uh, the, next, the following weekend. And then uh, everyone starts looking up in the sky, and they see a, the bat signal. 
We see Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, and Tim Drake all looking towards the sky and seeing the uh, the bat signal in the sky. We then cut back to the police headquarters where Commissioner Gordon is telling Barbara it's a signal uh, for uh, justice and hope. And uh, hopefully, even if this vigilante turns out to be true, hopefully uh, it'll have other people stand up for what's right in this wicked town and uh, he says let's go back downstairs and then she says I just need another minute as she stares also at the bat signal in the sky that is Batman number zero alright so uh, Batman number zero um, I wanna I wanna go through my review of the actual issue and then I'm gonna touch on some of uh, this timeline situation based off of these five issues that we've covered do it so um, First things first. Uh, the first story, I don't really understand what what that what what was that revealing, other than okay. So we're learning that Bruce had a brownstone in Crime Alley, um, that he would that he set up this bunker inside of the brownstone. That he has all these gadgets, but at this point, he still doesn't know what he's going to become. He doesn't know that he's going to be Bat Batman. He hasn't seen the bat crash through the window. Because Scott Snyder has said numerous times, Batman Year One still stands. Okay, so at some point, he has to get back to Wayne Manor, and he has to see that bat crash through the window, or something bat-related to get him to believe that he has to have the motif of the bat. Um, so, not real sure how that's going to happen if he's at a brownstone, other than, I guess, the Red Hood gang's going to blow up the, uh, the, the, the Wayne brownstone that's in Crime Alley. Why is the Red Hood gang going to blow up this building? We don't know. Obviously, this is one of those stories that's setting up something for the future, whether it has to do with uh, the upcoming death of the family or something else that Scott Snyder has planned for after that. Uh, we don't really know, but it's setting something up. Now, the the backup has to probably set up probably the most sequence of characters out of anything we've seen so far, because not only do we see Commissioner Gordon, Barbara Gordon, uh, Dick Grayson, Tim Drake, Jason Todd, we see all these characters in this one story, and we see them at different specific points in their lives. So uh, now is when I'm going to get into kind of the, uh, well, before I do that, so there was a little bit of a controversy that I read about on Twitter about the whole, the cop lets Jason Todd go, um, after he was involved with the murder at the robbery. Here's the thing. The cop would have no idea that Jason Todd had anything to do with the murder. All he would know is what Jason Todd is telling him, which is he's beating the crap out of this guy because he just murdered somebody in down the road. He never once said, oh, I was robbing this store with this guy and he decided to shoot this person, so because of that, I wanted to beat the crap out of him. The cop walked up, not because of the robbery, he walked up because he saw Jason Todd beating the crap out of this guy. He made the comments to him, well, it doesn't look like he's going to be doing a much, uh, or much of anything, because the point was Jason Todd beat the crap out of him, but the way his actual words were worded was, well, I saw that this happened, and he murdered him, and I needed to stop him. He didn't lie. He didn't say anything other than he. This guy murdered this person down there, and I needed to stop. Also, him. that's all he Jason's said. Jason's mask is off when the cop finds them. Yep. Yeah, and his and the other guy's mask we can presume is still on because it was on when Jason started beating him up. 
So, I mean, the reality is, who? I mean, the cop doesn't even know what the deal is with the with what's going on down at the robbery or at the convenience store or whatever where the robbery took place. All he knows is that he walked on and this kid is beating the crap out of somebody else who has a gun. That's all we know. So, I mean, based off of that information, there would be no reason for the cop to arrest him. Um, I mean, if there was a person with a gun versus a person without a gun, I'd say the person who with the gun is going to get in more trouble than the person without the gun, regardless of what happened, you know, down the street or the day before or whatever, not knowing any of that. So that puts to rest that. I have to say, overall, Tim Drake, this is probably... <laughs> The 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 most interesting and, in my opinion, the best uh, take on Tim Drake that we've seen in the New 52 um, since it launched. Because not only do we see that he's a genius, that he has compu- like extensive computer knowledge and can hack a, uh, a school email server through his phone. But, I mean, he's, he takes, they say he te- takes gymnastics. They clearly state that... Well, I mean, they said the whole thing about the SATs, about how he aced the SATs. I mean, it was just like spot on. How come they haven't really referred to any of this stuff in any of the other books? I mean, they've talked about it. They've talked about how Tim Drake is smart and he's computer savvy and Teen Titans, but never like to the extent of, oh, by the way, I'm in middle school and I'm smart enough to ace the SATs. So, I mean, that that's a big deal. They make they made a huge deal about the fact that Barbara Gordon graduated high school early and uh, was in college. So why haven't they ever made a big deal about the fact that Tim Drake was so smart when he was in middle school that he could have that he aced the SATs? I mean, I don't know what Barbara's score on the SATs were, but I'd like to <laughs> see an IQ comparison between Barbara and Tim Drake at this but point. But she's the smartest person of the Batman family. Oh yeah, well that's what they say. So I mean, why didn't she? Uh, why wasn't she acing the SATs and when she was in middle school? Anyway, um, and then uh, we have Dick Grayson. I mean, it was very, it was very little to do with Dick Grayson because I think a lot of it is going to be hashed out in the the Nightwing um, number zero issue that comes out uh, this coming week. Um, so I, I, that's why I think there wasn't that much to do with him. It was kind of cool to see that he was wearing the original Nightwing, uh, like a very, a costume very similar to his seventies esque Nightwing costume, um, that we saw, you know, obviously back in the 1970s, uh, kind of like a disco, uh, the disco Nightwing outfit. Um, but there was that, but I mean, other than that, there really wasn't anything other than just the, the mention of, oh, by the way, I'm. Bruce Wayne, the the millionaire, is coming to see our circus this this coming week, or this coming weekend. So I mean, Today, kind of was it like perspective the exactly. very day though? Or well, he said he's coming this weekend. So I mean, it's like a matter of days that okay, you know, okay. later that he comes. So I mean, that pretty much sets it up pretty well too, as far as okay. So when is that? So the the whole thing was. Okay, so now I'm going to get into this timeline stuff because I know some people really want to hear me. <laughs> I hear the papers. <laughs> so I took notes specifically on these five issues because I wanted to specifically just address the events that happened here. I don't. I'm not going to be referring to anything that's happened in the New Fifty Two up to this point, and I'm not going to refer to anything that happened pre New Fifty Two other than just possible, like you know, f- former reference. Okay, so. Here's the timeline as it stands with just these zero issues. Ten years ago, uh, in Detective Comics, Bruce Wayne was in the Himalayas. Six months later, he was still in the Himalayas, in Detective Comics. 
still training. Then that that's that that uh, training, I guess, ends. At some point, um, this now is seven years ago, which would be. I, I know it's going to be difficult with uh, to keep this up, so I'm going to try to do this in a in a like year. I'm going to try to do this in a year format. So ten years ago would be year negative five. Just bear with me with this, okay? So then it also says in the in Detective Comics um, during the backup that that was seven years ago. So that would be negative. Uh, that would be negative th- negative two. Negative two years ago. So year year negative two. Okay. So then he returns in neg- in year negative two. Okay. So then. Uh, the next thing that happens is in Batman, which is one year later. So this would be year negative one. Um, Batman or Bruce Wayne is still not Batman. He's parading around as um, you know, just a costume similar to what we saw in um, in in Batman Year One, where he is walking around dressing as criminals and trying to figure out the best way to take out the criminals, um, but it doesn't look like it's working. So that's year. That's your negative one, okay? So then, um, at year zero, which would be five years ago, uh, we see Tim Drake. He is in middle school. Uh, Dick Grayson is about to meet Bruce Wayne for the first time, which we could presume that Robin becomes, or Dick becomes Robin then. Um, we see Jason Todd also in Gotham City at the same time. Uh, there's no reference to how old he is either, um, we see Babs on the top of uh, police headquarters. Also, let's keep in mind that at some point between year negative two and year negative one, um, either Gordon becomes he's a lieutenant at year negative at, at uh, year negative one. At year zero, we don't know exactly what his rank is in the police department, but he has enough pull where he somehow manages to get this bat signal on top of the. Uh, on top of the uh, police headquarters, okay? So then the next event is one year later, somehow that's when Batgirl, or Barbara Gordon, she um, is investigating Batman, and uh, Batman at this point is still a myth, despite the fact that there is a bat signal on top of the police headquarters. <laughs> and she wants to become, and she wants to become Batgirl, okay? So at this point, uh, the Okay, so at this, this makes sense, because at this point, this would be like year one, um, where Batman still is a myth, um, and then she becomes Batgirl, which I guess that's a very condensed, so I guess Robin was only Robin for about six months before Batgirl came along. So then the next event is a year later, she stops being Batgirl and gets shot by the Joker, and then we know that she is uh, shot by the Joker and paralyzed from the waist down for three years. Okay, so that's all the events that have happened. Now, at some point in all of this, a year and a half ago, um, from this current time, Damien met Bruce Wayne for the first time, and Bruce Wayne found out that he had a son, who, by the way, at that point in time was 10 years old. So if you take that 10 years old, and there, if you assume, because it was never actually stated that he had some kind of artificial aging process... You assume that he's 10 years old. That puts uh, Bruce Wayne meeting Talia al Ghul and conceiving Damien 10 years ago, which would have been um, sometime during that uh, lost that lost uh, time that lost period of time uh, when when uh, Bruce Wayne was uh, 
before he was in the Himalayas in Detective Comics. So if that makes sense to you... Uh, and it doesn't. It doesn't, I know. Uh, but uh, the reality is, there seems like he spent... like uh, Trust me when I say, okay, I understand that Bruce Wayne spent years and years and years training. I get that. But the problem is, there's a distinct issue with this. Okay, number one... In the backup in Detective Comics, he's, Alfred states, Oh, well, you've been gone for four years. Which means, he four years ago, which would be a total of 11 years. So 11 years he's since he left Gotham for the first time to start his training to become Batman. So 11 years ago, he left Gotham and went to go train. Okay. So in the one year to because just let's just take Detective Comics for an instance, okay? So he so we have the seven uh, we have the Bruce Wayne returns. Let's just say that is the present time. Alfred states four years ago he left, okay? But three years ago, according to the feature in Detective Comics, that was when the Himalayans took place. He got to the Himalayas and he was training. He states to the Zen warrior that he states all the different types of training and all the different places that he was before he got to where he was there. There's no way he did all of the training and all of and been to all of the places that he was in one year. And here's my giant issue with this, okay? This would not be an issue, and it would just be, okay, let's bring this up on the timeline special that we t- that we said we're going to do in November, except for the fact that for some reason every single one of these books feels the necessity to actually put a number stamp on it. The only book that really doesn't do it that much is Batman and Robin, yeah. and that's because they said, okay, a year and a half ago, well, that okay, that, that really doesn't affect anything because that's just saying Damien's been around for a year and a half. They never actually state... When they say that, how long ago Damien was, you know, you know, he was born. It never actually states that. It just says before. So my issue is, why is it that every single book feels the necessity to put these four years, six years, five years, three years ago? Why are they doing this if they're only digging themselves a hole? Do they not? How is it, how is it believable that Bruce Wayne returned from all of this training and it took him an additional two years to figure out, hey, I'm going to be Batman? <laughs> oh, Why did he spend two years sitting in Gotham City setting up this giant bunker oh, in a brownstone God. that we've never heard about, only to say, oh, okay, now I'm going to become Batman? Oh, and then, by the way, that just happens to coincide right around the time frame of when uh, Justice League forms. I mean, I just don't understand what the necessity to put these distinct numbers on it. Stella, what were you going to say? Well, Mike, do, do you think they care? Do you think they care about continuity? And do you, that's my, my first question, I guess. And do you think they're, they're, are they just like throwing numbers out there? Like, is there a timeline that actually exists in the offices? Or are they just going, think, like, willy-nilly? I th- honestly, I think what they're doing is I think they're trying... I think editorial, is, at least in the back, bad offices, is saying, okay, let's try to come up with some sort of timeline to try to make this all make sense. The problem is that, they, the, that the, the events that have occurred, that they haven't said... Like, here's the thing. All they needed to do to fix this and to say this all works is by saying something like, oh, by the way, Damien grew a lot faster and he aged quicker. The problem with that is if you say something like that, 
how do you say that's possible, but then he's not going to continue aging quicker than everybody else? Why all of a sudden does it magically stop once he hits 10 years old? They can't. So then he would eventually surpass, uh, he would surpass Tim Drake and Jason Todd and Dick Grayson and eventually be older than them. Maybe not year-wise, but age, like uh, the fact that his body is growing at an accelerated rate, I mean, that's the biggest problem with that. I honestly think they have some sort of line, timeline that they've created that said, okay, this is what we're doing. You know, they, you know, I think back to when we talked with Scott Snyder last year, uh, last October, and we talked about the timeline with him, and he said, yeah, there is kind of a timeline, and I kind of talked through some of the ideas that I had as far as how it could work, and it does fall in line with some of the stuff here, but the biggest issue is now they're adding this five extra years before he was Batman, and they're saying, oh, by the way, these five extra years was part of his training, but also it was also part of his... I come back to Gotham and sit around for two years before I become Batman. And that is my biggest thing. And the sad part is, that is only actually addressed in Batman. And I felt as if the feature in Batman did not actually show anything related to what I expected. Because I could have swore I thought that uh, the whole point that I thought Scott Snyder said back when they first announced the Zero Issues was that he said... We're going to talk about the origin of the Batmobile and the Batarang and some of the gadgets that he uses and stuff like that. The only gadget that was really focused on was the was the boomerang, and that was it. We didn't see any other gadgets other than that might that that uh, the folding motorcycle, but that has never actually been used in in any of the current stories. So I mean, that's not something that's really that relevant, and we needed to know the origin of that. But instead, we learn about this brownstone that we've never known about before. Uh, we learn about the Red Hood Gang, which, okay, it's, it's, it's interesting to bring them up, especially if, the, if it turns out that somehow the Joker is related to someone inside of that Red Hood Gang. But that kind of steps on what the whole point of, okay, we don't necessarily need to know the origin of the Joker, or, well, the killing joke exists... So I thought the whole point of the Red Hood was the leader changed all the time, and that's why they could never catch the Red Hood gang. So I don't really understand what the point of using the Red Hood gang to do what they're, whatever he's trying to accomplish, other than the fact that we know that the Red Hood gang had relations to the Joker. So are, are we going to eventually find out that the, uh, the Joker is this Red Hood gang leader that we're seeing in Batman number zero and that's going to be revealed in uh, death in the family. And, uh, it's going to all be revealed that this was all one giant plan and Joker wanted to become, or Jack Napier, I guess we could call him just for a uh, namesake, wanted to become Joker and wanted to face off against Bruce Wayne slash Batman this entire time. That would be really horrible. I don't see that happening, but it's just like how, how much really, how much, how, how much are we really going to get into with this stuff? Where we have to dig this deep. All right. So overall, I mean, it's it's. I, I wouldn't say it's a, a horrible issue, but the thing is, I really enjoyed the backup more than the feature. I felt like the feature was just like, um, here's a setup for what's coming up, but we're not really going to tell you what's coming up because we know that Joker's coming back. So this, we, I mean, basically, we have to assume that this is a setup for something that's going to happen with the Joker storyline, but at the same time. What was the point of this? Wasn't it supposed to be revealing some secrets? What secrets did, were revealed other than secrets we didn't even know existed in the first place with the brownstone? So, I mean, 
the feature really really did some numbers for this because honestly I, I hate to say it but I didn't I, I think James Tinian with the backup did a better job than Scott Snyder with the the feature so um, the art overall by uh, Greg Pulo and Andy Clark I thought was great throughout uh, I didn't have any issues with the art um, I I'm gonna give this a four out of five batterings but it's more because the art was good and I really enjoyed the backup but I just did not like the take that Snyder did with uh, the the feature in Batman number zero. So I'm going to give this four out of five batterings. Okay. Um, the main story it was all right. Uh, I, don't know, I, I have nothing to say about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought it was fine. I, it, it, whatever. Uh, the backup story took more. I had a little bit. It's a little bit more unbridged, just because I am a, such a massive like fan of them sidekicks. Um, I did not like how Tim Drake was done. And I have reasons for this. It's not just because it's different. I'm not, you know, so against change. Although I'm really getting tired of defending myself as I'm some slobbering, you know, raging fanboy. Because I do think I have reasons for not liking something. Basically, like, from what I've read uh, of Tim and, like, Team Titans, granted, that is a little bit. But, like, he, I mean, he may be smarter, but he's essentially the same guy. And, like, Tim isn't, if you're going to play him up as this, like, you really cocky, super smart character then it doesn't really differentiate him with i don't i don't think it differentiates him much from the other robins i mean jason dick and damon all have a certain arrogance to them and i feel if you, if you play that on with tim and his, and his smart and his uh, intelligence you're just going for the lowest con- common denominator by saying see tim was a smart one because he was a detective and i don't like that i don't just don't like tim being given written in such broad strokes that he's like a genius and like an olympic level athlete i mean if you want Tim Drake in your comic books, I think Tim Drake should be who he is, is in the, as that he was a normal kid. He was very smart, but, like, he's not, like, this just, you know, this genius who can, like, you know, someone like hops on his Blackberry. It just, it felt that, like a, a combination of trying too hard and too artificial for me to really care. And I, I let this... That just smacked as, you know, just untrue to me. I actually really like the Jason Todd part. Uh, although, you know, it's less than subtle to have him wearing a red mask, but whatever. I liked. I actually like how Jason Todd in the New Fifty Two is being written by and large pretty well compared to like how he was written after after Under Red Hood before the Flashpoint uh, story. Um, in terms of the timeline, uh, Dick Grayson looks like. I mean, all these Robins look like they're the same age. I know that like, like there's a descending timeline between Dick to Jason to Tim, but like, isn't Tim or isn't Dick supposed to be like sixteen years old? He looks like he's like fourteen years old at best. Yeah. In the story. yeah. And I. I think that's like, I mean, I don't mind if he's 14 years old, but it doesn't match with the timeline that they've established. I thought the, the best page in this issue was the three Robins all looking uh, at the best and with different responses. So I thought that was very cool. Like, even, you know, as, as much as I have a problem with Tim in this story, him saying it's so freaking cool was very much something he would do. Although, I like Andy Carker as an artist. I thought his little um, cross-hatching style of art in this mm-hmm. issue made it look a little bit too... Uh, like a Victorian era kind of uh, artistry, or not artistry, but artwork. Um, my basic continu- my basic comment about the continuity in the, in the year work in the year, or the five year timeline or whatever is essentially a five year timeline was a stupid idea. I mean, you're crowding too many characters at once. You're picking and choosing which characters you want. I mean, uh, why? The problem with a lot of these stories is that you know. They don't feel like they're stories. They're just informational tidbits that, that they feel that we need to have, and we do need. But 
it's as if they're trying to t- tell a story, and this this goes along with the other zero issues. Uh, you're trying to like just give us this information and move on, and not thinking at all about the ramifications or repercussions. That's why they that's why they come off as so you know ill prepared and you know unthoughtful. It's it's just you know they're just they're, they're just throwing these out. They're not thinking much about it, and like everybody's ages are, are all over the place, and there's not enough time for certain characters to have to be where they're supposed to be because of the timeline. That's the main problem with it. I mean, I'll, I'll elaborate more on the timeline special that we're going to do, but that's basically my comment on that. I like the issue, though. Um, I, Tim Drake really did bother me, but I'll give the issue three and a half out of five batterings. I I wish for simpler times. Simpler times when, you know, things really did make sense, you know, even though the crises sort of messed things up. But at least it was, you know, it was easy to remember. And sort of listening to to Donovan talk about Tim Drake, and I'll get to this when I get over there. I do think that the New 52 feels to me like um, just this way to, well, you're starting off slain, right? You're you're starting off with a clean slate, Tabula Rasa, and I think that it was just a way for many people to take these characters that, you know, everyone's loved, and perhaps they love them as well, hopefully, and sort of inject them with venom, and and just throw all these sorts of characteristics on them and make them like this ten times more betterest <laughs> character than they were, right? So Tim Drake, he was awesome in his in his own right pre New Fifty Two. You know what I'm saying? He was smart. He figured out who Batman was on his own. Again, he had a great relationship with his father. He was athletic, but you know I don't think he was like I, I don't think we could say that he was Dick Grayson level athletic. That maybe um, would you disagree with that, Donovan? No, he. I mean, he, I mean, he he's about as like as you or me. Yeah, but yeah, so but he's not like astonishing. And now we've got like this super genius, and he's like, oh, so amazing. So you see what I'm saying? Like we're going from a normal person that we could definitely relate to to like this like person that they're like so far on the stratosphere now that like man, like this obviously is a comic book. You can't really bring it down to earth and say, hey, you know, this is pretty cool because I really feel like you know Tim Drake is my kind of guy, and I have that relationship with my, you know, I, yeah, you can't really say that. So anyways, okay, Batman Zero. So I loved the beginning, just the image of cutting through the bank, and then it pulls back and reveals that it was actually a cake. I thought that was great. I liked the Red Hood intro and, and how well um, everything was planned, and it really felt um, like the Dark Knight, it felt like that because everything was planned in that beginning bank heist scene. It was very much like that. You know, the poison cake was poisoned beforehand. And then the fact that the leader really knows his group. And I think that really tells, um, is telling of what type of leader you are because you can know your men and like, okay, no certain abilities, but then if you know that, hey, this guy is actually left-handed and he's more of a shoot person rather than a hit person, I just thought that that was great. And it was also nice, I think, that Bruce made, um, you know, he made mistakes here because, yeah, he is fresh in his career no matter what the year is because we don't know. And he's using his disguises early on, which is always good. Um, Okay, so the quote, what's old (laughs) is new again popped up a couple of times and 
part of me was like, is this some sort of 52 plug? Was that the quote going around the office? What's old is new again? Because I never thought of these characters as old and aiding, you know, some sort of restart. It was interesting that Bruce set up his main operating base mere feet from Crime Alley. Uh, but I do agree that, well, the whole thing is very strange. A returning boomerang on a timer was interesting. I do like the sort of the heightened suspense that it added to the scene with Gordon. You know, is Gordon going to leave in time for the boomerang? And then, uh, yeah, my problem with the... So when Dustin was going through his timeline, he said about the, you know, he was lieutenant at least um, here, which is, this was six years ago. Okay, so... At this point, he was able, he had enough pull, as Justin said, to somehow get this uh, this um, signal up there. But in less than two years, he, he rose from lieutenant to the commissioner, um, if there is some sort of timeline. I don't know if Batgirl is just way off base and doesn't follow anything. Uh, but that was four years ago he was commish. I do wonder about that. That seems like a really... That's a quick ascension, and I'm wondering if maybe something happened to accelerate that, or that's just a mistake. Uh, this Kane storyline, oh boy, it's really connected to the Alfred backup in Detective, which is nice, but you know, I'm, I'm still sort of not sure why they're so important right now to the Batman mythos. Um, I talked to Don about this, and he mentioned to me um, that it was brought up years ago, so this is just my ignorance, but I just wonder, like, what, why right now? So we did Court of the Owls. Now we're going to do Death of the Family. Are they going to tie into that? I don't know. I'm just wondering what the Kane thing is because there's a lot of focus going on. Okay. There's actually – I don't want to – Oh, no. Off, there's yeah. Been a, there's been a weird amount of focus on this ever yeah. since really uh, – it actually goes back to Streets of Gotham. Yeah, Dini. Um, Paul Dini brought uh, the Kane family up and kind of – fleshed out some of the stuff, and that was during the early meeting, and he actually showed in Streets of Gotham the early meeting between Bruce Wayne and uh, Martha Kane, and how they got together. Thomas Wayne and Martha Kane. Yeah, and how Thomas Wayne kind of was like this, 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 you know, this disgusting playboy, and Martha Kane was this person who kind of like tamed him and, and turned him into the philanthropist that he was. So that happened in Streets of Gotham. Then the next time we saw it was really during the uh, Gates of Gotham miniseries where they showed that the Kane, uh, the Kane family was one of the uh, four oh, right. families yep. of Gotham. Mm-hmm. And then there was the whole county outside of Gotham City that was named Kane County, which is actually where Wayne Manor uh, is actually at. So then the next hint was during the whole uh, night... Or, Court of Owls mm-hmm. storyline, there was just a couple little mentions here and there, but you're right, it is coming back a lot more heavily and as, as if it is going to be something uh, that the and, and I, I want to say, and obviously this is going to be something that I'm going to have to look up at some point, but I want to say at some point somebody said something about the fact that that was going to be addressed. I can't remember who it was because if you remember, Kathy Kane, the original Batwoman, also, because she has that same Kane name, right. I remember an interview with Grant Morrison saying, are you ever going to touch on that? Because when they showed the entire origin of Kathy Kane, she was actually married to a Kane who owned a circus, and his last name was Kane. So that, that, that like flowed back together, and but that was also in Batman Incorporated, 
prior, you know, pre New Fifty Two. So there's all these all these mentions, mm-hmm. and it's seeming like it is building up to something. But because of the multiple mentions in one month, it is a little bit more than normal. Yeah, yeah, and Kat, that's funny because pre Crisis, Kathy, um, she went kind of to the the circus business and had her own thing. So now I wonder, after you know. Dustin went through all that. I'm just wondering if um, this whole Kane thing is, is it going to be just something to reveal more about Batman's past? Or is it, I don't know, is it something sinister that lies ahead? And I think it's funny because this sort of connects to Batman Earth 1, which we're going to get to soon. Um, because I remember the Canes were, that was that like crazy house that, well, I don't want to spoil anything, but anyways, they were involved there. So I'm just wondering how this is all going to happen. And because, I mean, there are Canes and other, I mean, I don't know. I just wonder like why the focus is happening now, I guess. And I feel like maybe it's too much. If we're going to have this Joker thing, are we going to do like another? I just, oh, okay. Uh, So the backup, Tim. Okay, so he's got the smarts of pre-52 Tim. Uh, seems like maybe even more. And he's got a bit of an edge. I feel like he, like, a la Jason, he's got a bit of a, I don't know. It didn't seem like holy Tim attitude to me, but, like, kind of pushing a little bit further. Okay, so Jason shows compassion in inside the uh, actual 7-Eleven or the convenience store, whatever it was. And then he turns around and he's, he's beating a guy to a, you know, basically to a bloody pulp. And I'm wondering, gee, that's, that's a little confusing how he goes from one to the other. And I thought that was a little strange. Um, I guess that's just me. It actually reminded me of, uh, I just think of these things now, the movie The Town with Ben Affleck, which is actually a very good movie. But, you know, it starts off with this bank robbery, and, and Ben Affleck's character is being really kind to kind of the woman in the bank that's helping them out. Um, and she gets kind of hit around, hit and everything. And then afterwards, he actually um, checks up on her later, and they develop a, really, a relationship. So it sort of reminded me of that. I thought, you know, that it was a good story, connecting basically all the sidekicks, uh, you know, with, except for cast and stuff unfortunately to batman and and really giving a taste of a brief taste of the personalities of robins of the robins um however just like you know my gentleman friend said it totally throws the entire timeline into confusion i don't really know how all this goes together and i think i read this after i read batgirl and so to see batgirl on top of the um on top of GCBD, talking to her father, and obviously she knows he's not magic, which she said in Batgirl because she's talking to her father, and I don't know what the need was for all that jazz. Again, I, I just wonder how much conversation goes on uh, within the office and between writers because we're told that they do talk, but sometimes it doesn't seem like it. I give this four out of five batterings. All right, so Batman number zero gets a total of four out of five batterings. That is all of our comic book reviews. Let's throw it over to John with Bat Books for Beginners.
and welcome to another episode of Bat Books for Beginners. I'm your host, John, and this week we are reviewing Batman, Mr. Freeze. This was written by Paul Dini, who everybody obviously knows, and features art by Mark Buckingham, who is most well known for his art on Hellblazer and Marvel Man and Shade Changing Man. It was released in July 1997, and it could be bought new for $17 on Amazon.com or £30 on Amazon.co.uk. It reached 58 in the pre-orders chart and cost $5 new. This is pretty much Mr. Freeze's origin story, and considering that we've just had a brand new one written by Scott Snyder, it'll be interesting to see how it compares and if there are any differences and Ultimately, which one's probably better? So, will Batman Mr. Freeze leave me feeling cold, or will it warm the cockles of my heart? Let's find out as we dive into Batman Mr. Freeze. We open with Bruce repairing some equipment whilst listening to a news report about an attack by Mr. Freeze. We discover that Robin has been frozen in a block of ice. We then see Batman leaving the Batmobile to go and find Mr. Freeze. We then cut to Mr. Freeze, who is attacking Gotham, icing a number of people. The police arrive and set up a cordon. They then use the SWAT team to try and take him down, but the SWAT team is easily taken out by him. Mr. Freeze monologues about restoring order, and we get a flashback to his childhood, where his parents are angry at Freeze's compulsion to freeze insects in ice cubes. Victor's parents believe he is damaged and ill, and they remove him from school and give him a large amount of schoolwork to do to try and prevent him from having time to freeze animals. However, Victor tries to freeze his pet rat, but is caught by, uh, by his father, who beats him. They then send him to a school which is run with strict discipline, and we see various scenes where Mr. Freeze is picked on by everyone and forgotten about by his parents. We then cut back to the current day with Mr. Freeze attacking more people. He then freezes a young woman who is abandoning her partner to try and save herself, and we get another flashback. In this one we see Nora, and we see their first date, as well as them getting married. We also see some of his experiments with cryogenics. Nora gets sick, and Freeze leaves teaching to join Gothcorp, who promised to pay for Nora's treatment. He develops a way of freezing and reviving people. However, it is expensive and Gothcorp want a breakdown of how much it will cost. However, at the same time, Nora takes a turn for the worst. So Victor kidnaps her and puts her into a cryo chamber, whilst Victor searches for a cure. He keeps the cryo chamber system running despite orders to stop. However, he is discovered and in the fight breaks the tank releasing the coolant. Nora's tank, however, was not damaged in the fight, and is placed in cold storage. We then cut to a year later with a number of Goth Corp executives being taken out by a mysterious person. It is, of course, Mr. Freeze, who takes out Goth Corp's head executive. Batman arrives, and they fight, and during it, Freeze destroys Nora's tank, killing her. Mr. Freeze blames Batman, promising to destroy whatever Batman holds dearest. This turns out, of course, to be Robin. Batman and Robin are led into an ambush by Victor, who succeeds in freezing Robin during the fight. We then cut to the present, 
with Batman using the Batmobile to take out Freeze's truck and disable his thugs. However, Freeze escapes, luring Batman into a zoo. When he arrives, Batman is attacked by two polar bears, who Freeze is controlling via a computer chip. Batman defeats the bears using a flare, but he is knocked into a tank and then manages to flush himself into a sewer, where he is attacked by a leopard seal. However, it is easily defeated by Batman. Freeze dispatches his guards to take out Batman, however they are easily taken out by him. Freeze is lured into a rainforest exhibit where Batman uses a batarang which attracts bats to disable Freeze's suit. Batman then succeeds in smashing his helmet, obviously taking Mr. Freeze out. Batman is fortunately able to use Mr. Freeze's weapon to revive Robin and a number of the victims. The issue ends with Victor swearing Batman as an enemy for life. I thought this was a really good issue. It reintroduces Freeze as a completely genuinely sympathetic character. The Batman animated series in the episode Heart of Ice had recast his history as a sad villain and Paul Dini does this again in the comic. The writing was good and I felt a lot of sympathy for Victor and he seems to have not a lot going for him when he was younger. This contrasts with the retelling of Victor Freeze's origin in the Batman annual that was just released. And as much as I like Snyder, Dini for me does a better job. Freeze in the Batman Annual is much more psychotic and unhinged from a young age with his belief in a fabled wife. However, I think Dini makes him more sympathetic. He's always been a victim of circumstances. He's just had a lot of bad luck and Freeze hates Batman because of the accident involving his wife and his belief that Batman didn't really try hard enough. Rather than somebody who is, in my eyes, portrayed as someone very similar to all the other Batman villains who are quite psychotic, unhinged, all a bit deranged. And it just didn't feel the freeze that I kind of like. I thought the art on the whole was excellent. Freeze especially looked very creepy, with often just the glowing eyes visible and a dull outline of his head inside the mask, which felt quite scary at points. The action was very dynamic and easy to follow, and the artwork in the flashbacks I felt really contributed towards the sympathy that I felt for Victor, with his expressions and body language really suggesting someone who is downtrodden and beaten. And later, in the scenes with Nora, where she's dying, someone who is desperate and really willing to do anything that it takes to save his wife. Overall, I thought this was a fantastic issue. I think it's really interesting. Freeze is very, very sympathetic. And as much as it's going to pain me to say this, I prefer this origin story over the one done by Scott Snyder. As good as the one by Scott Snyder was, I think this one is just slightly better. I'd give this 4 out of 5 Batarang. So that was Batman Mr. Freeze, which I highly recommend that you go out and buy. Next episode, we'll be looking at Birds of Prey, Manhunt, and now I'll hand you over to Dustin and the guys.
Thanks for listening. All right, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Make sure you are picking up the next set of books for the next episode. So next up, we're going to have a brief discussion. Uh, 100 episodes is a pretty big milestone. As of right now, there isn't any other podcasts out there that I am aware of that are Batman-related that have had 100 100 episodes, much less produced as many episodes as we've produced because we've actually produced, with all of our different podcasts combined, over 250 different Mm -hmm. podcast episodes well over that that was actually like a goal that was i think like last september that we had was like 250 but um this podcast is our first podcast to actually reach 100 episodes out of every all the other podcasts that we have um the the most interesting thing about this is this isn't the original podcast for those of you who may not know that uh the original podcast is in fact the batman universe podcast which uh, is is released monthly and uh, is on episode 78, right around the, the late 70s, early 80s. So because of that, um, that podcast was actually the original that started in January of 2008. This January we'll be celebrating our fifth, aniver- our fifth anniversary of the podcast, but uh, this podcast actually started the end of June of 2008. Um, and just as a... Uh, just as a couple little foot uh, kind of trivia things, uh, back in June of uh, 2008, the uh, the books that we reviewed on the very first Batman Universe comic podcast was um, Batman 676, Batman 677, uh, Detective Comics number 845, and uh, the graphic novel or the the trade paperback, The Joker: Greatest Stories Ever Ooh, Told. Joker. Um, at that point. Uh, the episodes only lasted about an hour and ten minutes, yeah. um, compared to our, you know, sometimes pushing three hours. Now, um, there was an actual, there was actually an episode, uh, episode three that didn't even last a half hour, and we reviewed only three comics in that uh, in that issue as well, or that episode. So I mean, a lot of things have changed since then. Uh, who who could remember Simon Dark? That was another series that uh, was very short lived that we reviewed when it's uh, when it was releasing because it had to do with Gotham City. It really wasn't until episode number five that we started picking up all kinds of other Bat books and reviewing pretty much every Batman book that was getting released, um, whether it be a. a a miniseries, a story within continuity, you know, any of those books, um, were, we were pretty much covering everything, but, uh, just reading through some of the books that we used to cover, none of them exist anymore, except in some sort of new frame. So like in a, any given month's time frame, we would be reviewing, uh, Batman, the Batman strikes, Nightwing, Batman confidential, detective comics, Simon dark, uh, Batgirl, uh, which at the time was a miniseries. Good. Um, Batman and the Outsiders, uh, Birds of Prey, Robin, All-Star Batman and Robin the Boy Wonder was actually releasing at that point, uh, Batman Gotham After Midnight, and Superman and Batman. So there was a decent amount of books that we were covering back then. Uh, but the most interesting thing is actually talking about some of the different story arcs that have actually happened since we started the comic cast. So when we first started the comic cast, uh, the very the storyline that was picking up was uh, Batman R.I.P., which is why we the very first episode we reviewed not only 677 but 676 as well. 
So we had Batman R.I.P., Final Crisis took place, we had Last Rites, uh, Battle for the Cow, and then we had the entire Batman Reborn where all the uh, old series ended and the new series began. And there was the entire, you know, new lineup of, there was Red Robin and the new Batgirl and all of that, which doesn't really seem like that long ago, but it really was. Then there was uh, the return of Bruce Wayne, uh, where Bruce Wayne was stuck in time after we, you know, he was assumed to be dead. There was the entire uh, Batman Incorporated storyline that that picked up after we had uh, the Bruce Wayne return from, um, I guess, being stuck in in time. But then since then, we've had, uh, after after Bruce Wayne returned and we had Batman Incorporated, we had the New 52 pick up, and now here we are a year after the New 52 picked up. So, I mean... Over uh, just just uh, just over four and uh, four years, we've we've covered a lot of major events that have happened within <clears throat> the Batman universe related to the story arcs. But uh, just just as a quick thing, um, what were some of your guys' favorite moments from the last four years that we've that we've done the comic cast? Now, both of you haven't been on the comic cast, but what were some of your favorite moments? Um, within the Batman universe that have happened. Wow. Um, I actually I was listening back when you guys were covering uh, um, Batman the Outsiders. <laughs> and um, around that time, uh, Streets of Gotham... No, it was around the time that Paul Dean was doing Detective Comics and Grant Morrison was doing Batman, which I really liked. That was, that was like one of the last really fun eras of Batman in recent memory. Um... Of course, I, I mean, I, I like the whole original B- B- Grant Morrison run with, like, Batman Black Love, R.I.P., the Batman and Robin. I remember um, when I came on the show, it was during, like, the whole Batman Reborn era, like, kind of the second half, where Bruce was... It was, like, the second half of the first year where Bruce was presumed dead, and his new status quo was around. Um, I really like the, 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 the uh, Incorporated era. I mean, it wasn't all gold, but, like, I mean, books like... Red Robin. I liked Red Robin. I liked Batgirl a lot. I liked uh, Batman and Robin and Batman Incorporated. Because uh, that was the kind of time that I was in, into the show. And um, the dark, Batman the Dark Knight had, was coming up. And like we didn't really figure out how that was going to turn out. But I liked that kind of era. It just has a, sort of a nostalgia thing. Because like, when I remember that kind of era of Batman leaving, it's, it is kind of uh, coinciding with uh, like uh, me being on the show. But uh, other eras you guys had had come on had, had reviewed, I really like that. I mean, I really do like that uh, Morrison Batman run, where Tony Dan was was just drawing and not not writing, and Paul Dean was with D- Dustin Wynn, and he had the Heart of Hush storyline where Hush rips out Catwoman's heart, and Batman has to save Catwoman's heart. How romantic! Like I, I like that run a lot. In fact, I might read that soon just for nostalgia purposes. Um, I think probably my first experience that, well, first of all, I remember Josh kind of sending out an all call for, um, for cast members, like trying to get interest. And at that point I was thinking about starting Batgirl and he thought, well, this would be a great in for you, you know, to get in with Batman. And uh, at that point I didn't have too much time, but when Batgirl was starting up, uh, was that volume three technically with Stephanie Brown, I didn't really know too much about Stephanie Brown. So I actually went back in, in the backlogs of the Batman universe and especially listened to like the character, um, hi, uh, what did you call them? The character. 
Yeah, the spotlight characters. And I started with Stephanie Brown, and then I went on to other ones. And I think I sort of skipped around and did that. You know, always memorable for me are some of the the, uh, the rage quits. I guess they were, well, they were more rants, I guess, that <laughs> Josh went through, which were, I guess, a dime a dozen. But some of them were intense, to be sure. And always, um, I, I like the blooper shows uh, to really get a feel for who the cast is behind the scenes and then you can really relate to them better when you're listening through the regular episodes which i think is great so definitely yeah i think the bloopers are a good way to get in there of course they're kind of strange as well but no it's just a i it's a great show it's um i really respect what you do and and how you manage the show and and the website and everything and i think Hopefully, you know, listeners out there can tell how much work you put into this. And, you know, even though we're negative sometimes on the show, I hope that people understand that we're not negative to be negative. But, you know, we're here. We're actually giving our our thoughts and we're always going to give praise when it's due. And, you know, if it stinks, we're going to say that it's bad. But really, thank you to to Dustin, number one, for letting me on the show because I disagree with him sometimes and I have laughing fits. Uh, but no, it's just a great honor to be on this show, and it's one of my favorite things, to be sure. And I do have to say that we are very similar because I remember when I started Backworld Oracle that I had nice 20 to 30-minute episodes, and now all of a sudden it's over an hour because, you know, the books and everything. But I guess that's the evolution of the show. But thanks to Dustin. Congratulations on – I mean, this is great. And I, I hope it keeps going because it's such a worthwhile show, and I know that a lot of people – they get good information from it, and if they're not following along with the books, they're, I think that you can follow along with the storylines just by what we're talking about. So it's just a, a great thing to, to have around. Absolutely. And, and Yes, and I want to thank not only uh, Stella and, and uh, Don, but also uh, Joe, who, who's not here today, but will be back on the next episode, and then all of our former uh, co-hosts that have been on the show as well, Apple... Uh, Zach, Josh, all of those guys who have been on the uh, the comic cast and have actually uh, done things. Nick, who was doing bad books for beginners, uh, f- you know, for seventy episodes, and now John, who's now picked up bad books bad books for beginners from Nick. I mean, all of these guys who have you know hel- you know helped over the last four plus years. You know, it's it's it means a lot that we are around after four and. A- Four plus years, and it'll be five years in January since we started, you know, the entire the Batman universe. But the big thing is, um, we know times change, and uh, you know, there's been some things that uh, over the years people have sent in suggestions about. Well, maybe you should change some things up, and some of them we've taken, and some of them, you know, I'm not going to lie, I've taken and crunkled up into a ball <laughs> and chucked it into the wastebasket because that's never actually going to happen. <laughs> But the reality is that I know times change, and you know, I, you know, those of you who go to the website have seen the website evolve from, um, you know, a very, very uh, disorganized collection of all kinds of different information to slightly more organized to when we first switched over to WordPress, using WordPress on the for the all the editorials and now what the site is now, and the site is even going to be evolving some more as time progresses. Um, so that there's a couple things that I'm going to throw out there. 
um, real quick. So the first thing is the forums. We're actually going to be getting rid of the forums. Um, I know that some of you go to the forums all the time. Others, others, others of you do not. But the reality is that forums is kind of a thing of the past. And that's not to say there aren't sites out there who use forums or discussion boards. But the reality is we really like to utilize the comment sections on the, the website under the articles and under the podcasts and try to start conversations specifically about the things that we're posting on the website and allow people to comment and comment with each other and talk about specific things. Um, you know, discussion boards were really big when we first started, but, you know, there's a lot of sites that have either gotten rid of their discussion boards or just don't maintain them. And the thing is, in order to keep the discussion boards going, it's just, it's, it's a lot of work to make sure you have active topics going all the time when you already have active topics that are popping up daily with the news and editorials that are on the website. So the forums will be going away. Um, I don't know exactly when, but uh, an email to all the forum members will be going out saying that the forums will be taken off uh, before it actually happens. But uh, the forums are going away. But that means that we're going to start utilizing our comment section a lot more. So if you see, for instance, we used to have a thread on uh, the forums for each podcast episode that would say, oh, here's where you can leave comments for this. Instead, it'll just be directly under the article that actually has the podcast posted on the website, and that way you can talk right there with other people related to the thing. So instead of having multiple places to go to talk about the same thing, why not just have one central place to go to talk about all that stuff? We're also looking at trying to figure out a way to incorporate uh, the comments that people leave us on Twitter and uh, Facebook for the specific episodes and try to get those also into the conversation. Um, That's something that we're going to be looking into as well. But the big thing is that the big change that uh, a lot of people have suggested, but then also a lot of people have really commended us on, is our format for how we actually review comics. So as of episode 101, our format for uh, reviewing comics is going to be completely different. Uh, we're still going to be synopsizing the, uh, the issues because there are uh, plenty of people out there who do not really like the fact that we synopsize the issues or that we give away spoilers. But the reality is... You're listening to this podcast because of one of two things. One, you've already read the issue and you want to hear our opinion. Or two, you don't have the money or you don't feel the necessity to pick up an issue, but you still want to know what's going on, so you listen to us for that purpose. Either way, um, you're, you're, you're going to get the synopsis. We're not going to get rid of the synopsis. But the change is going to be instead of having... Um, the four of us actually give our individual reviews. We're going to kind of do a completely separate thing where it's not necessarily a review. It's more of like a topic. Now, a lot of you have really loved when we have discussions and really like when we go off the cuff. So what's going to happen is um, we're going to be reviewing the books that we would normally be doing minus uh, after uh, September we will no longer be doing Red Hood and the Outlaws and Batman Beyond will be focusing strictly on the core Batman titles but uh, what's going to be happening is every episode we're going to give you a synopsis but whoever synops- uh, gives the synopsis for the book is actually going to pick three different topics from the book to talk about and then the four of us together as a group are going to actually talk about those three topics Um, We feel as if not only will you, the listener, be able to get more out of how we feel about specific things, but also instead of talking about, well, here's the story, here's this, here's the art, this is what my rating is, uh, you know, instead of doing that, 
instead like picking three specific topics to talk about and then the point is the person who's picking the topics isn't going to be telling anybody else what the topics are until they get done synopsizing the book. So the whole idea is that we're going to be talking off the cuff. We're not going to be talking off a script. It's just going to be us discussing the topics that the uh, the, the reviewer has decided to talk about, and then you're going to hear our, our uh, you know, for the most part, unedited uh, thoughts related to these topics. Now, they could be anything. I mean, legitimately, if we took uh, Batman and Robin, for instance, we could sit here and talk about the fact that there wasn't any explanation of the aging process and how that works. So that could be one topic. The other topic could be the fact that, uh, you know, if Stella was reviewing the book and she was interested in knowing why exactly uh, the man-bats, she could bring that that topic up and we could end up talking about that. So not only will you be getting our thoughts about the current stuff, but we could also be talking about things that relate to prior storylines and things like that. So there's a lot more room for different things that we could actually be talking about. So I think it's a it's a, it's going to be a fresh uh, format. We're actually going to be also doing the format. Uh, we, we planned on doing the format with our, our uh, graphic novel special that will also be releasing soon as well. And uh, the idea was... Uh, because the graphic novels are so long and there there are there's so much information in them, how could we figure out a way to talk about it in a different way than other than we all sit and rattle for ten minutes apiece about a book? So this is what we came up with for that, and we're going to apply it to the comic cast as well. So hopefully, um, after the first episode, we really want to hear. Uh, the first episode that we do this, we really want to hear your feedback and hear whether or not you like the idea. But also, just based off of my description, if you like the idea or if you're completely opposed to it and want us to stick with what we're doing, we really do want to hear what the fans think and what their uh, their opinions are of what we're doing. So hopefully, uh, one way or the other, we can hear from you. Of course, you can email us all your comments at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. But also, as I said, head over to the website, and if you click on the podcast section and the actual post for the podcast, you can leave comments right there on the website as well. All right, so that's a lot of stuff, I know, but uh, there wasn't that many episodes, there wasn't that much news, and there wasn't that many issues to review. Next issue will be, uh, we're going to hit the ground running because we're going to have more issues uh, to review in this than this issue. We'll also be talking about solicitations uh, for January that were announced as well. So uh, lots of stuff in the next episode for sure, at least uh, along, at, at least with just the, the comics that are coming out. So that's everything for this episode. And remind everybody to head over to the website for all the daily news related to not only the comics, but also movie, TV, merchandise, video game, and general news. Be sure to uh, comment in the comment sections when we post, post news stories. Those are always uh, greatly appreciating. It really starts to get the ball running with uh, other people discussing some of the events that are announced and some of the editorials that we post as well. Um, we have a number of different specials that are uh, planned through the end of the year. We have two graphic novel specials that will release, the timeline special, and we're also aiming for uh, a blooper show to release uh, sometime in December as well. So lots of different specials. Make sure you also check out the commentaries and keep checking that because we'll be releasing commentaries for some of the past uh animated uh, animated films that have released that we haven't actually done commentaries for including the upcoming Batman The Dark Knight Returns Part 1 
and then eventually in December, The Dark Knight Rises. So lots of uh, commentaries that will be coming out very soon, too. We're also going to be kicking back and uh, getting Villain Wall back. Uh, Villain Wall will be returning uh, within the next couple of months as well. So lots of things happening at the Batman Universe. Make sure you're checking out everything, and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman Universe. Leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated as well. And of course, uh, and of course, you can email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. Now I want to give Stella an opportunity to tell you about a, a different type of thing. Yeah, so another sort of special, but a special that I want to include you listeners in. Over at Batgirl the Oracle, I, I sort of laid an invitation out that... You know, I'm displeased with Batgirl, the current run, and and how it's going, just as you know, because you listen to the show. And I just want to hear from other people that aren't me, basically, and aren't sort of my core group here, like Dustin and, and Donovan and Josh and Joe. And so I'm trying to get a round panel together uh, with three people that are enjoying the Batgirl run and three people that are not enjoying the Batgirl run. And so we're going to come together. We're going to record it. We're going to, I'm going to come up with different topics and sort of go around and give um, thoughts and opinions on those topics and then potentially address other ideas as they pop up. But the point really, I really am interested to hear from the people that are pro current Batgirl run because obviously I'm not and I want to know you know what you're liking about it and so I know that you don't know me personally you just hear me you know through your earphones so I just want to put it out there that uh, this is not a trap uh, and I'm not asking people that like the, the book to come on so I can berate you and attack you and say why do you like this this is awful I'm really open to hearing what you think and I think it'll be great so far um so right now I do have two people that do not like the book, and I have two people that do like the book. So I'm looking for one more negative and one more positive person, and I'm just excited. I think it'll be really great, and it's something that Batgirl Oracle has never done, and I think it'll, I don't know, it'll be just great to have listeners to come on and, and hear from you. So if you're interested from the Batman universe, then please send me an email at Batgirl to Oracle at gmail.com or email Dustin and he can always forward it to me. Thanks. Alright, so that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Donovan. And this is Stella. And you've been listening to episode 100 of the Batman Universe comic podcast. We'll see you guys Yay. next time. Stay tuned for the next 100. Eat some poison bank cake. Or waffles. side thing. I'm not sure when you say go back and read some of the better storylines I'm not sure how many better storylines he actually has to read. <laughs> All two of them. Just like two storylines 
Although I was going to say, I you know, I was almost about to come on here and be like, oh, well, I'm actually going to give it a bump up from three to three and a half because Penguin didn't make an appearance. Oh, boy. Thank Christ. I'm a cracker. But I'm not going to. Uh. <laughs> Bruce learns the art of sword, uh, s- s- the art of swordery. That's and, not a word. Uh, okay, what is the word? <laughs> sword, sword, sword fighting? Swordsmanship? Swordsmanship. That's a word either. And the I problem with sword the problem sword fighting is that he's not fighting, he's just chopping coconuts. Uh, whatever. Swordery. That's the not a word. Of swords. It's your show. <laughs> so, I give this uh, four out of five bats. <laughs> Sorry. Why is that too high? Should I bring it down? No, you said bad. Oh, shoot. Oh, see? I, just <laughs> I was like, do I need to change my grade? This is open. That's all right. That was so <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was a combination between the on and the stretch. This is... <laughs> 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 I need to get to now. Oh.